Hello, one and all, and welcome to Dub Talk, the show where a group of friends get together, swing our rackets, play a few games, and maybe score some aces. I'm Megan, and tonight we have a very special episode. Um, joining me tonight, I have Jet. Uh, this episode is brought to you by the letter S for suffering. I have Stephanie. <laughs> And I have no clue. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Just, just imagine me in the background, very oh. playing, a, playing a record of Bob Marley's "Everything Is Gonna Be Alright," except played at like half the speed. Oh my god! <laughs> That's just creepy. Rocking back and forth here. Everything is gonna be alright. That is so creepy. <laughs> so just like the half the parents so. in this show. If you're not wrong. So, if you're wondering how the stars aligned to brought this group together tonight, oh. tonight we are here to talk about the 2019 anime Stars Align, an original production by director Kazuki Akane from Studio 8-Bit. Now, if that name sounds very familiar to you, he is the director of such series as uh, Noeen to Your Other Self, The Vision of Escaflone, and Birdie the Mighty Decode. And a plot summary of the series is as follows from ANN. The boys soft tennis club is the joke of the of the middle school. Doesn't I, I forget what their fucking middle school is. Oh um I uh, I just want to say I want to say down. Sadness University, but I know that's not it. Oh no, I know what it is now. The boys soft tennis club is the joke of Shinjo Minami Middle School. Not hey. only does it not win nearly as much as the girls team, its members come off as lazy, entitled, and it's just generally lame, with the notable exception of team captain Tomoshinjo. Uh, he is constantly frustrated by his teammates' behavior, but things come to a head when the president of the student council announces that clubs with poor performance will no longer receive school funding. Therefore, if the boys' soft tennis club doesn't win at least one match during the summer tournament, their history. Although the whole team agrees that this is unfair, only Toma is truly upset. And he desperately tries to think of a way to turn things around. When a kid from, he knew from his childhood, Maki, moves back to town and proves to have grown up to be athletic, Toma thinks he's saved. But Maki's got his own issues to deal with. And even if he agrees to join Toma's club, there may be, not be much he can do anyway. So, uh... If you think that this is going to be a happy... If you looked at the art of this show and thought this was going to be a happy, wholesome, fun, bright anime... Surprise, boy, bitch! Honey, this, you got a storm coming. Th yeah. Surprise, bitch! The long-awaited, long uh, you know, uh, continuation to the um, basketball, volleyball subgenre that we love to represent so much on this podcast. Uh, nothing bad happens. No, no, it's just it's just good wholesome yeah. boys yeah. having good wholesome sports. Nobody dies. Nobody dies in sports anime except for Daichi that one time. I mean, ah! I mean, I mean, okay, I mean, okay. Look, as someone who has seen all three of the other things Kazuki Akane did that you mentioned, like I feel like I figured go I figured going into this it was probably going to be pretty dramatic. I also I also kind of figured going into this that the sports thing is probably going to be some kind of a ruse and it's going to secretly be some kind of fantasy thing. See, I forgot. I was actually very surprised with like, oh, this actually is just a sports show. See, I forgot that he was the director of um, Escaflone, <laughs> and I've seen Escaflone. Yeah, uh, wait, 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 haven't you seen Noeen? Haven't you seen Noeen too? I haven't seen all of Noeen. I've seen a few episodes. I haven't seen the whole thing. 
there there is very first I've watched for I've watched another Kazuki for a show that's about stars in the title, there is very little uh, astronomy or science fiction in this, which is what you would expect. If Just you... <laughs> the astronomer's almanac from the beginning and the, maybe a telescope in Maki's room and that's it. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> there is surprisingly very little space travel in the show. This, Unfortunately, this is not a Makoto Shinkai anime, but it is just as heartbreaking. Look here, Makoto Shinkai does not go into space. Are, have you seen his movies? <laughs> that's, excuse me. Uh, excuse me. Everyone... Makoto Shinkai does not go into space. That's Imaishi. Makoto well, Shinkai, too. Makoto uh, Shinkai okay, but, okay, goes but, with the weather and some spiritual stuff. So uh, okay, yeah, but he may not send you to space, but he may send you through a giant cloud for some reason. I I see these people have not yes. seen Voices of a Distant Star yet. <laughs> That's all right. We'll get we'll get on that after this episode, people. I own Voices of a Distant Star. Thank you. That's great. Have you seen it? Bitch, please. I own. Shut up. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, point being is that this is uh yeah this just because you're right does not mean you're correct. <laughs> so Here we Me- go, boys and girls. All right, so uh, so Megan, what what part of this show do we want to focus on? Do we want to focus on the beautiful production design? Do we want to focus on that this is an original anime with no source material, which is very rare for anime these days, or the fact that this show got royally <laughs> fucked at the finale? I would, well, I was going to go over all three of them as I am the host of this show. Um, Yeah, so before we get into the actual discussion of any of the, because we are going to be talking about the dub of Stars Align, all 12 episodes, which are out, which I made the call after watching the end of episode one that we were going to talk about the whole show, not do an impression (laughs) style episode. Smart decision. Um, Yeah. Smart decision. I couldn't do impressions at the time. (laughs) episode well that too uh episode one goes from uh zero to 60 pretty fast um, <laughs> yes it goes from zero I mean, to oh, oh. I mean okay like like again when i saw that episode one was episode one's ending was leading up to some kind of big twist i figured okay it's gonna secretly be some kind of sci-fi thing and no, then it was something at the, nope, the end of episode was, one just nope it's just child abuse face. nope it's and that's just not the only abuse. thing that gets hit in the face um, <laughs> I hate just, you so much right uh, now. Let's let's not make <laughs> let's let's just not make jokes about child abuse, please. Uh no, so before we get into discussing the actual dub of the show, which we are gonna discuss other elements of the show, obviously, as it does have a huge impact on the performances of this. Um I wanna start this episode off by talking about something that we normally don't talk about, and that is the uh production aspect of this show in Japan. Mm-hmm. And that is this. Stars Align, we should not tech. If Stars Align had gone the way it had originally, we would not be recording this episode as of January 26, 2020. Um, I know I'm dating this episode, and I shouldn't do that, but it's on the fucking title card and in our episode description. Um, we should not have been covering this show right now. We should have been co- doing this episode in uh, April or Mar- uh, April or May. And that is this. Um, sometime early last year, while this show, uh, months before that we would see this hit airways, um, the production committee of Stars Align went to Katsuki Kane and said, uh, yeah, your episode count is being slashed in half. And it was done so late into the production of the show, which I think 
according to uh, Sakura blog, the Sakuga blog, and people like Frog, uh, a frog in Japan, and Campina Show, uh, who are all immensely, immensely talented people and resources that, uh, if you are interested in this in this medium, especially anime, um, please check their work out. They are fantastic people, and they are very trustworthy sources. Uh, had been going on for two years. Mm-hmm. And basically months before Showtime, they, for some reason, cut, the production committee cut the episodes uh, of this in half to the point that Kazuki Akane could not pivot the show. He could not cut things out. He could not d- fix the show into 12 episodes. And in some ways, uh, I don't think he wanted to. Oh, no. no thank- I don't think this man this man would not compromise on his vision, which, thank God, um, like there, there was, there's, a, there's, there's some old articles about like how he didn't want to do that anyway. Like he didn't, he wanted the story to like yeah, the- be fully fleshed out as, as he intended and he didn't want to take shortcuts on it. Yeah. Now, uh, it- yeah. And, and this is a show that does, does not take shortcuts on anything. No. Um, this is a show that, that if you, like I said, if you looked at the poster of the show and think it is one thing, it is very far from that. And it comes with. Like, I think, uh, even for the disclaimer of this, which, at the time of this recording, I don't know what it'll be, uh, but I plan on doing it. I think I am going to mention a content warning for just uh, just talking about child abuse. In all mm-hmm. honesty, I, in all honesty I imagine, like, a, a content warning in general, because there's a lot of heavy subjects, not just child abuse being involved in here. No. Child abuse. But child abuse being one of the biggest ones. It is. And it's very, very graphic on-screen depictions of it. Yep. Um... But, like, uh, uh, Akane himself has said in some way, shape, and form he's going to continue the story. We just don't know how yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so going into that, we will be dis- just please know that this is... A, a ha- we're doing a review on half of a show that we should be doing more of. Mm-hmm. But that's not the fault of, like, Funimation or us just saying, oh, well, we're going to do 12 episodes. It's No, like, this was Japan's mandate, and it kind of fucking sucks. Yeah. Um... Uh, but Jet, you were saying something and you got cut off. I was like, oh, oh no, it wasn't anything. It wasn't anything too important. I, I was just gonna say that this is that this is not that this is not the first time something like this happened to Kazuki Akane. Mm-hmm. But I, what I say supposedly because in truth it kind of didn't like for years everyone kind of assumed that's gonna float. It was supposed to be thirty nine episodes, but it was only supposed to be twenty six. And I guess people kind of accused him of getting that. Show cut short too for some reason. I don't know. Hmm, that's weird. If we're gonna talk about actual cursed Akane shows, that's just clearly Birdie the Mighty Decode. <laughs> I really Birdie love that the Mighty show. Decode. Just, I love that show, but it fucking falls apart halfway through. Oh uh, yeah, I, the that... second the second season of that show just dies. Is that, yeah, I, I, the animation I, budget yeah. just goes to hell. Oh yeah, I I love that show, but yeah, I I do recall the animation in the second half being very. Uh, questionable very bad <laughs> I, was like, I haven't even watched it's not very Birdie. good it, uh, i also want to point out that like even when the show was airing it got fucking cursed i think it got delayed two separate times for other sporting events in japan probably <laughs> that was so funny though no like it did it was, ba- yeah, no, it was baseball it, it was i think it was baseball and soccer events baseball and rugby yeah i think it was baseball and soccer which one of them being one of them being soccer is kind of ironic. Um, <laughs> These oh boys God. just could not catch a break. 
Yeah, this show could not, this show, like, could not catch a break, and I feel awful for it, because it's a good this was show. one of the best anime of 2019. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna take a hot take. Uh, this was one of the best shows of 2019, and it had half its episodes cut out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. This was better than, like, a lot of other shows I watched last year. So, and that's saying something. So, let, let's talk about uh, why it was so great. Yeah, let's talk about why it was so great. And uh, one of the things that was great about it was that it got a simuldub. Um, so, tonight we are going to be talking about the simuldub of Stars Align, which, uh, for the sake of time, because there are a lot of characters, uh, we won't be doing any predictions. We are just doing a straight review, which we are just going to talk about the cast and characters of this. Uh, but first, too, if you're gonna if you're gonna have a dub, you need a director and some writers. So, being the main director of the show is Jerry Jewell. He was assistant directed by Afia Yu, Damon Mills for episode six, and Mike McFarland for episode seven. The head writer of the show was Jared Green. He was assisted by Jessica Cavanaugh for episode one, Howard Wang for episode eight. Uh, uh, Jessica Cavanaugh not assisted. Jessica Cavanaugh wrote episode one. And Howard Wang wrote episodes 8, 11, and 12. Uh, Jerry Jewell, you'll know, is a director of series such as Kochiki, Kamisama Kiss, and Orange, another heavy drama show. <laughs> Afia Yu, you'll know for her assistant... Her, yeah, fucking really. Uh, Afia Yu, you'll know as the director of assassin, the assistant director of Assassination Classroom Season 1, going on to fully direct Assassination Classroom Season 2, the quintessential quintuplets, and Classroom with the Elite. Damon Mills has done some direct assistant directing work on actor song connection and ensemble stars. And Mike McFarlane, you'll know as the director of series such as Attack on Titan, Barakamon, and Hyoka. Jared Green, fun fact, this was one of the two shows that Jared Green did as his first time writing. Yep. Full time at Funimation. The other one being Case Files 221, Kabuki Cho, and Ensemble Stars. He did do an episode of that. Jessica Cavanaugh, you will know uh, those the writer of Golden Kamui. Special 7 in Rompo Keton Game of Lapless. Howard Wang, you will know for writing series at Funimation such as Nichijo. He did an episode of uh, SSS Gridman and he did an episode of Mixed Meisei Story. So, Jet, why don't you start us off? Okay. Um, so, like I said on the Kotoki episode, Terry Jewel as a director for me can sometimes range from doing really great work to stuff that's like a little middle of the road for me. Uh, as far as this dub goes, though, I'd say it's definitely on the stronger end. Uh, since a lot of the vocal directed for this show kind of allowed for a lot of very natural and grounded performances, uh, which is uh, definitely what you needed for this kind of series, and I really appreciated that. I thought just about all the actors did really well in that end, Sans maybe one person we'll get to later, and I thought all the casting choices were very solid. I also really liked Darren Green, Jessica Cabanagh, and Howard Wang's work on the scripts. I thought they all did a really great job of striking a balance between being faithful to the material and all the themes it was going for, uh, while also kind of loosening up the dialogue a bit that the characters could kind of talk like actual teenagers, and, you know, and we got some bits of swag, like scrub or clapback without, you know, sounding really forth or obnoxious. I wrote those down so <laughs> specifically when I heard those. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that kind of thing can be really tricky for an adapted script to pull off well, and I've definitely seen a lot of dubs at Kratz and Bird trying to do that sort of thing. I mean, I still haven't gotten over the many, many horrors of the future Diary dub. Oh, uh, So when that sort of thing is done well, it's definitely Ooh. worth giving props to, and I think they did a very excellent job here. 
I wouldn't say everything's perfect, but on the whole, I think the direction and scripting for the sub are very spot on. Good job. You've reminded me the pain that is Future Diary. Thank that you for that. Th that show wasn't even salvageable with a non-slangy dub. That was just a cursed show to begin with. Okay, okay. I mean, I mean, okay. It was a cursed show to begin with, but like, the dub script kind of made it worse. It's I, fair. I, 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 I don't. <laughs> I, I feel it tried like, to have fun with it, you and did. it didn't I, quite work. I mean, it, it's a show that reminds me a lot of High School of the Dead, and the dub follows suit, and that kind of fits with how awful all the characters are, so maybe it just didn't bug me because the show itself is also uh, terrible. Uh, uh, okay, I mean, I guess it kind of bugged me because like, I was attached to the material at one point, so... Uh, yeah, I, I can, that's a good point. That <sighs> Well, on to this show, which is... Uh, uh, there are tend to be there's two types of high school anime I think that most of us are familiar with. There's the mm -hmm. Kiyoani slice of life, um, sitting around drinking tea kind of high school show, which is not meant to reflect the actual struggles of high school. It's meant to reflect the the lackadaisical, carefree youth sides of it. And those are fun shows. Th those can be a good time waster, a good relaxer once in a while. Stars Align is not that kind of high school show. It is the the high schoolers who are actually trying to accomplish something, and we see them fail and pick themselves back up again to try to succeed again. So with the direction on this, Jerry and his team, uh, they gave some of the characters uh, slightly cartoonish voices. They they do all sound young enough to be in high school. Like Some of them sound like they're pitching their voice up a little bit to fit the tenor range, but because uh, for not the most part, school, they're, they're all no believable. I mean, there, there's some that are, um, I think the, the higher pitched ones are the ones who are supposed to be a little bit on the meeker side anyway. And then the lower voiced ones are <laughs> the ones who are like, you know, the, t the tougher kind. Um, but for the actual acting goes, Jerry directed them to have a very, uh, well, ground is a good word for it. So yeah, they're grounded portrayal of, uh, what they're, what they like, what they don't like. And some of them don't quite know what they want to be. A lot of them are kind of discovering who they are as they go along. There's there's one character who's not even on the team who we'll talk about who's definitely going through that. But that variety that they were given to work with lends, lends itself to a great ensemble cast. And Jerry and his team directed that really well, especially for a show that was a simulcast, because there was a good chance that uh, they you know they didn't quite know where the show was going which we know is true because again this was the simulcast with no source material they couldn't even read a manga or a light novel to find out where the show was going so that that especially deserves a high praise with the writing itself that's also something where th this is one of the times where slang in a high school show is not played super for laughs it's it's meant to be loose it's meant to be believably non-artificial which is hard to do sometimes in dubbing and it comes off pretty well. I can't really point to any, like, one thing that sounded out of place with the high schoolers. And then we got to talk about the adults, because, oh man, the adults in this show, a lot of them are very horrible, a lot of them are very supportive, and a couple of them are just the worst things in the world. And all of them uh, have yes. <laughs> variety. There's a lot of range in how awful the characters are. There's, you know, dads who are low and gruff, and there's dads who are... Uh, non-understanding. There are moms who are non-understanding. There are homophobic ones. There are controlling ones. There are... And then there are good moms, just all around really good. And the writing complements them all really well to the point that I don't think I got any of them confused with each other listening to them, which is the best thing you can do in an ensemble cast. We're going to talk about all the individual ones as we go along, but for, yeah, for writing and direction, these guys brought their A-game to this tennis match. Soft tennis match. Soft tennis is interesting because it's a softball. It's not 
a hard green ball. It's like squishy, but it can still hurt if it it'll, hits you. About to say it'll still hurt like a son of a bitch. <laughs> that softball um, is also a lie because the, the ball softball is, not soft. is also a lie. It's also very true. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this. I mean, I have to agree with what what you guys have been saying so far. The performances are definitely very grounded um, in reality and realism, especially considering. Oh, sweet lord. There is a lot of heavy subject material in this show. Uh, we mentioned a few things already, briefly already. We mentioned, like, child abuse, um, both physically and to an extent there's, like, psychological and mental child abuse for one of the characters. Um, More than all, one. Well, <laughs> there's, the, there's one in particular I'm thinking of. Um, mm -hmm. There's also... There's also... Um, themes of gender identity there's also um freaking oh, what else there's not living up to your uh siblings expectations yeah parents expectations there is oh sweet lord adoption is a thing in here too there's a there's a lot of things like it's a lot of heavy subjects all thrown in together into a single show and it's very it would be if in the wrong hands both on the Japanese side of things but also on the English dub if you don't find that balance it could fall apart because you're just like oversaturating the show with a bunch of dark things but not only does the show in general handled this very very well and i commend um the director on the japanese side for this but i also commend jerry jewel and the and the trio of assistant directors on this too especially with jerry jewel because he has tackled some shows with serious subject matter i'm glad megan brought up orange because of this um that is a show with some very dark material um that that you just don't necessarily see on the surface level of it this is just like magnified to an extent <laughs> like holy crap um it's it's a very hard task to pull off um directing actors in these different situations um especially like uh especially if it's a very very heavy tough subject like the there's one odd thing that i'm very curious to know um it's the only, not necessarily a flaw, but I think it's only because there was no information at that time when this was done. The casting of Kyle Phillips' as show. Because we meet Sho as a friend of Maki and his mom's uh, at the beginning oh, yeah. of the series. Um, but And it, he's voiced by Kyle Phillips, but we find out later on that Sho actually is a female-to-male trans person. So, more than likely, that was just information that wasn't given to the English side um, until much later. Um, they still stuck with Kyle's show by the end of it, but I'm curious to know what's going to happen with the home video release on this. Um, that's probably the one flaw of the show that I can see, but that's only because that information wasn't given to them at the time. Um, so, that's in, in, I don't think it's in any way Jerry's fault, in all honesty. It just seems like lack of information. Um... I have to. Oh boy. I, I don't. I, I really can't see them recasting that in any way because not not well, only is it not so, it doesn't make a big impact on the overall plot to have the character of show like sound more feminine just because they were born female, but also th they make a point in the show to say that no one even like 
realizes that like they they pass for male out in society so to give them a voice that gives them away as it were would be kind of redundant i guess guess that may be true but like even then it's still still a little bit difficult to say and i mean because we have an incomplete story who knows what show's impact could be on the rest of the story too you know what i mean show might have a larger impact and could become a larger character we don't know um so it's a very weird it's a very odd situation on that one um i am gonna say this the true mvp of one of the true mvps of this damn show is jared green like bar none he is one of the true mvps of the show like not just because this is his first season as like a full-time writer with funimation but because he had to write this show <laughs> as one of his first full-time projects, like, holy mother of God. Like, in some ways, I think he was lucky that there was no original source material because he didn't have, he didn't have any, he didn't have to worry about, like, staying true to the original source, which is a great learning experience. But he still has to write about these heavy subjects. And I can imagine that's not an easy task and an easy feat to make it cohesive and make it just flow naturally and keep this show grounded in reality. So I do have to commend Jared for that 100%. Um, and honestly, I'm excited to see what he could, he could come up with next as a writer uh, in, this, in seasons to come. But... In general, like directing and writing wise, I think it's rather it's rather strong. There are small things here and there, um, but in general, it's a great ensemble piece. It's a great show. It tackles so much heavy material, and I think it does it so well um, to make sh- that it doesn't like beat it into your head or just play it lightly. It takes the mat- the material very seriously, and I can really appreciate that. So, yeah, this is a show that I I remember watching the first episode of it, and and we were like, oh my god, the ending of episode one, and I was like, okay, and I was I was already gonna watch it, because hey, I like sports anime, I like sports anime a lot, and I like Birdie the Mighty Decode, that's one of, that was like one of my, like, baby, like, 2000, <laughs> like, early 2010s, like, Megan likes this show because of reasons, um, it's got it, it. It may or may not have had my favorite voice, one of my favorite voice actors of all time in it. So, um, surprise. But that being said, surprise. Um, that being said, I think that the dub of this show is really good. And if it wasn't for a couple of other stronger pieces that had come out during the year, I think this would have gotten up a lot higher for me. Um, I think that this dub is is great. I think that it's probably one of Jerry's stronger dubs of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that it's it, it's to me it's up there with Kojiki as his underrated work of last year, mostly because Jerry did have to do two different seasons of the Raildex franchise last year. Oh boy, God bless his soul. Technically three. Poor poor Jerry is tied to that behemoth of a thing. Um. But for me, I, I think that he did a really good job casting the boys. I think that the main core of the team is incredibly well casted, and it's a mix of a mix of really established actors. Well, technically everybody in, in of of the, on the team is an established actor at this point, mm-hmm. but it's 
It's not a combination of, of male actors, I think, that you would see normally. Yeah. Uh, not unless mm. you were doing a huge mobbed show. And anybody who knows me knows that those are some of my favorite dubs to watch, not because they are necessarily, like, 10 out of 10 flawless masterpieces as the next Cowboy Bebop productions, but because they are very, very good introductory pieces to voice actors who are established, but aren't going to be on your Toonami stuff unless you, you pull a Fire Force, which is important for later. Uh, yes, but the thing I really want to compliment is especially Jared Green, Jared Green's writing on this. I think it does a flawless, or at least semi-flawless adaptation of what do teenage boys sound like while keeping the spirit of the show intact. Because Stars Align is not an easy show. I would I would think to direct, write, or act. This is a show that is incredibly living and dying on the emotionality that's presented before you, whether it be visually, music, uh, through visuals, audios, or uh, character dialogue. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of moments in here that are done through very much subtle reaction noises, the way that someone responds to something, or the way that, like someone someone like says something under their breath and that's some of my favorite parts of stars line is the way that the boys respond to things under their breath um they are very some of them are very very smarmy um like i think one of my favorite lines is yeah they get along both of them only have half a brain <laughs> or um even the or uh even his dog looks rich <laughs> Uh, or no, even his dog looks expensive. Um, they have such oh, yeah. animal feed. And, and here's the thing. I I really do wish that this ensemble of characters or these actors got to be together more often in shows because I think that they play off each mm -hmm. other really well. Um, and yeah, I think everybody kind of summed that up. So now that we're done with directing and writing, let's move on to two supporting characters. They're not a member of the team. They're but one of them, I think, kind of makes himself part of the They're team. The heart and soul. And the other one is what put the team here in the first place. They are Arashi Oji. Arashi is the ace of a middle school that the team... I'm sorry, I'm, like, also eating a snack. Um, that the team goes against. He's hot-headed. He's arrogant. He thinks he's the best that... He thinks he is God's gift to tennis. <laughs> and, frankly, he is kind of the needed comic relief of the show. <laughs> Then there is Kinyo Kasuga. She is the student council president who has a weird history of her own at home where her mother and her grandmother fight over her name and she doesn't really want to be called either of them. And honestly, if the show was not cut in half by its production committee, we would have figured out what the hell was up with her. So playing Arashi is Austin Tyndall and playing Kinyo is Tia Ballard. Austin Tyndall, you'll know his characters such as Ruth in The Ancient Magus Bride, Yozo Owa in Human Lost, and Kaneki Ken in Tokyo Ghoul. Tia Ballard, you'll know as Sane Kashimura in Alice in Zoroku, Beast, uh, Beast in Black Butler, Book of Circus, and Ryo Ueda in Orange. More Orange reference. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray! Yay! Yay! 
I mean, I guess it's been a while since I've heard Austin Tindall in, like, any major role, so for some reason I didn't immediately recognize it was him. Um, so, uh, but, uh, so, uh, but he was uh, definitely having a lot of fun with this one. He did a really great job of making Archie sound, you know, very haughty and full of himself. And, and again, as we mentioned, he uses the term scrubs a lot, which I thought was kind of amusing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he, he, he's, ba- he's, he's, he's the unsung member of um, uh, TLC. And, or no, what was that band that sung I Don't Want No Scrubs? It's TLC. That is that, TLC. That's, <laughs> You're right, Noah. God, <laughs> commit to this one. You're I actually right for no a change. Scrubs. Scrubs. Congratulations, you played yourself. Scrubs player can't get no love from me. <laughs> can't get a sitting hit off in the corner, Sitting in a corner just like crying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, so, okay, anyway, I thought he did a really great job, you know, making Archie sound very fun and very much like the kind of comic relief this show definitely needed. I definitely liked a lot of his interactions with Maki, where he kind of goes from, you know, being very hostile towards him, towards, uh, towards being immediately endeared to him once he finds out Maki can cook. And Maki just taking full advantage of that to get information uh, out yes. of him. Yes, animal feed. <laughs> the way to the way to a man's heart is through his noodles. I mean his stomach. <laughs> You're not wrong. Specifically uh, through his noodle. Yeah. God damn it. Uh, okay, uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, we don't get to learn too much about his home life compared to the rest of these kids, but uh, he's definitely very clearly he very clearly comes from money. So I guess there definitely would have been something interesting there had we gotten more of the show, but uh, that is what it is, I guess. Um, speaking of characters who come for money, we also have Tia Ballard as uh, Kiniko, who is uh, definitely a very interesting character. I uh, I definitely appreciate that even though she has a very plus-size design, at no point does the show ever like really draw attention to it, and I thought that was kind of nice. Mm. That is interesting. Yeah. And, uh, I, uh, and, I, and of course, like, and of course, it helps that she gets the best part of the ending song, even if it is kind of cursed in hindsight. But <laughs> go, Conoco, go! Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we didn't, uh, yeah, we didn't. God, I forgot to bring that. Part okay, up, uh, yeah, yeah, we didn't bring that up. But uh, in addition to this show's many woes, there was a bit of an issue with the ending song where. Uh, <laughs> Not the song. The ending animation where they ripped it off. Where they they stole the the moves from some real life idols and they were made to apologize and they were later credited. Oh, I didn't know that. There's a difference between homage and straight up stealing the content. And it is straight up stealing. When when the boondocks steals a little bit of Cowboy Bebop's fight choreography for one episode, people usually know it's an homage. When you steal the dance choreography from idols for the ending of your tennis show... Not everyone's going to know that unless you say it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, going back into the performance, I thought Tia Bauer just did a, uh, you know, she did a really great job of making Kitako, you know, sound very refined and proper without getting, like, super cartoony with it. And, so, uh, so, and, she, stuck the, and she stuck the right balance between, you know, being, you know, being kind of haughty and a little full of herself, but also, you know, uh, seeming a little reasonable, like, yeah, she's definitely, she's being, like, maybe a little mean-spirited about this, and she kind of recognizes that, which I kind of like. Uh, but at the same time, I guess she is uh, kind of well-intentioned in a sense, and she does sort of think she's doing this for the greater good. And hey, and, and, and hey, her doing this does kind of get, does kind of help whip those boys into shape, so I guess it worked out. <laughs> 
contentious point in that she thinks she's doing the right thing because I, I do think she thinks she's doing the right thing, but it's it's not like the kind of person who's good intentioned about it. She's not using tough and, love. Okay, 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 uh, okay, yeah, she's not. Okay, yeah, she's not like well intended about it. No, yeah, she has. Yeah, she has a very clear world view that I guess. Okay, that I guess might have gotten subverted had we gotten more of the show, but again, uh, we can only speculate. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Which is it's refreshing in a high school show because I don't know very many high schoolers, at least in my reality, who live by the rule of meritocracy or the idea that only the most qualified and the best acting people should get the good parts in society. Like you would think a president would be like everyone should be equally entitled to you know the resources, the money. But no, she's like no, we need to give our money to the teams that are doing the best so that they can continue to succeed and if you're not up to snuff then gtfo <laughs> uh yeah but basically it comes down to that and uh yeah i thought his performance was really good i definitely liked the bit in her episode where we got a little bit of her home life and let's <laughs> say and a uh, whole contention over like what her actual name is supposed to be again i definitely am kind of uh curious to learn what the story is there but um I suppose if we never get more of it, what we did get was pretty interesting, so there's always that. Yeah, her. I, I imagine her build was meant to kind of offset the usual rich high school girl we usually get. Because usually if you have a stereotype in anime is you have a rich girl who like goes to tea ceremonies. She's supposed to be raised to be like a prim and proper wife kind of character. Like she's a bride. Uh, you is... Uh, basically planning to take over the world. She is, to use a quote that's been thrown around a bit this year, a girl boss. And she's kind of, like, biding her time, waiting for her to get, for her parents to, like, kind of, like, raise her up to get the top spot, like, rule the school. And, again, that's kind of refreshing. It's not, I, I, it's not the kind of thing that, like, we should be encouraging. Like, I, I don't want kids to watch this and think, yes, I will use my resources to basically create a proletariat society where only the wealthy and good resourced will survive and the rest will squander. But again, that, that kind of like gets the ball rolling in our show. And Tia does a good job on this. She's got a calm composure, but she's got that snobbiness to her that really could only come from someone who thinks that her shit don't stink. So good job, Tia. I, I really do wish this character got more screen time because I think she could have been the, the source of a lot more conflict throughout the show while still being a likable antagonist. I can't even call her a villain. She's just an antagonist. And But, but speaking of protagonist, uh, Arashi is just a, a fun guy to have around. Like, I see this character, I think the term extrovert is the only thing that could apply to him. And Austin just it sounds like he's having a lot of fun. Like, you, you have all these characters who have broken homes, uh, lack of aspiration, or no money, or what, whatever the problem is. And it's it's refreshing to also have a character who has no problems in the world. Like, I get the good feeling this guy could easily go about life just kind of coasting on his energy and not have to really work for the rest of his life. That being said, Austin does get a couple moments where he has to be dramatic. Um, there's a scene near the end where the team is asking him, how do we beat these twins? And he, he, he drops his noodles, which you know it's serious because he drops the noodles. And he basically says, um, you can't. You, you, I don't even want to get your hopes up that there's a possibility because they're just that good. And his, his extroverted personality doesn't die, doesn't go down in that situation at all. But it's still nice to see that he's got a, he's got a serious side to him as well. 
So, yeah, for both these characters, very good way to show the well-roundedness of the cast. Not everyone is a totally broken individual with horrible parents. Some of them are just good-natured individuals with a hell of a lot of money. So, Adashi and Kasuga, huh? Or as I lovingly like to call them, shit gremlin and prissy bitch. <laughs> Wait, which is which? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll leave I that could apply to both. Just yes, Noah. <laughs> um, I'm gonna start with Tia as Kasuga. Um, she, I mean, because <laughs> Kasuga does seem to have this prim, proper kind of attitude to her, and Tia just brings that out of the character very, very well. Um, you can tell that she also has something going on at home. She is one of those kids that has something going on at home. We just don't get to explore it that much. Because um, she doesn't, because like Megan says, she doesn't want to be called by the name that she was actually given or the name her mom actually wants to call her. I want to be Cowdy. My name, I want to be Cowdy. That's my name. But she can't do that. Um, so it's very interesting. And if we had more of the show, we probably would understand why. I like how Noah refers to as an antagonist and not a villain. Because that's really the closest thing you can describe her as, as an antagonist. Because she's just antagonistic in terms of plot relevancy. Like, moving the plot forward for the soft tennis club for the boys. Right. Um, yeah, she's not than, actually trying to hurt anybody. No, but she's, can, her, her actions are deemed more antagonistic. Um... But I imagine she'd be more sympathetic, too. Then there's Austin as Adashi. Oh, oh, Austin. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, you little shit gremlin. (laughs) Adashi is a shit gremlin. He thinks he's better. He thinks he's the shit. (laughs) Like, as Megan described him, he's God's gift to tennis, or at least he thinks so. Um... He thinks he's God's gift to soft tennis. He thinks he's God's gift to soft tennis. I think uh, I think one of my favorite lines in the show that he has is um, he runs into Toma and Maki as they're shopping, and Austin's still del- and he Austin's delivery on this is perfect. Austin turns and- into like a fucking crackhead <laughs> for for Okinawa noodles. It's so fucking uh, great. And he goes and he's going on about how he just wants Maki to come over and make them because his uh, his. Uh, housekeeper won't do it as well <laughs> yada 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 and he goes and, and maki just kind of goes like in this very kind of annoyed sense he goes well, why don't i just give you the recipe and you just cook it yourself and he just goes i have to focus all my energy into being amazing at tennis i don't have time to cook ah uh, yes <laughs> i don't or I, I don't have the energy to cook yep accurate like austin goes from cocky cocky fucking little shit when we first meet him to full-fledged crackhead (laughs) for these noodles but he's also a fun and interesting support for um the boys as well um and it's interesting to see that as a different kind of dynamic granted he's really only around the boys because of the fucking noodles but but. I, i wouldn't say that like it's a catalyst but he actually goes out of his way to like help them and he's he's a good moral support for noodles Yes. Okay, fine. You can buy a man with noodles. That came out wrong. Noodle slut. <laughs> there is nothing wrong with being a slut for noodles. 
There, there are much worse things you could be a slut for. This is true. <laughs> it is a different and interesting balance and dynamic with the cast of characters, considering this is a pretty large cast. And um, I, I like that Megan described him as the comic relief when the show really needs it. Because it's true. <laughs> Austin gets to play the shit gremlin comic re- relief. He really does. And it helps a lot. Given how dark the show can get. But um, I do enjoy both of these performances. Um, with Austin being such a shit gremlin crackhead. Like, <laughs> I can't even describe it. Like, oh god. But uh, yeah, these both were fun performances. I'll, I'll talk about Tia first. One of the things, like Jet, I really do want to appreciate is that not only did the show go out of its way not to make uh, Kinyo, who is a larger body female character, one, not a slob, two, not a joke, uh, three, she literally is the most athletic one according to the ending. Um, <laughs> like, out of everybody doing the dance at the end, she's the only person to not be out of breath by the end of it. Toma is fucking dying by the end of that video, end of that song. But not Kino. Uh, The second thing I want to appreciate is that in Tia's performance, they don't give her the fat voice. Yep. It's true. It's the Kami-sama kiss argument. It's the fat voice. It's specifically, it's it's the Kami-sama kiss slash, in my case, because Jet and Noah were on that The Little Witch Academia incident. And and to... Credit to the Japanese, they don't give her that voice in the sub, either. That we know of. No, they... Okay, yeah, no, they don't, because I've watched, uh... Fucking, uh, Kiss Him, Not Me, and they give it to her in that. Yeah, so... No, uh, I meant I for this, this show, they didn't. Yeah, I know. I'm saying, I, I... I was like, I can't tell if they did in the Japanese, and then I said, oh, wait, yeah, they didn't do it, because I've watched the Japanese of Kiss Him, Not Me, where... If you, for those of you who have never seen Kiss Him, Not Me, the main character, the joke of Kiss Him, Not Me is that the main character is a giant fat Fujoshi and her favorite character dies and she suddenly gets very skinny and now all these guys think she's hot. So she's fat in the very beginning of it and they give her like the big fat slow whale voice. Like, do you know where his son Nemo is? That's going to be a yikes Um, for me, coach. Boy, uh, I, uh, I mean, about the only, I mean, about the only thing that really endears me to that show in hindsight is like knowing which of the boys actually wins. Yeah, that's the best part of Kiss Him Not Me is the actual best boy wins. Um, just like how I know the ending of a harem show uh, that came out recently uh, ends with actual best girl winning. Um, but I really wish that we would have gotten to see more of Kino because I think Tia does a really good job of. Making her have the Ojo-sama voice without doing the stereotypical Ojo-sama mm-hmm. voice. Um, but man, Austin Tyndall steals whatever scene he's in as a Rashi. <laughs> he is so energetic and so extra and his extrovertedness. <laughs> but he still doesn't feel out of place in the show. He doesn't feel like he's doing an episode of Haikyuu. Or an episode of like... Or, or like an episode of Kuroko's. Um... Which doesn't have a dub, but still, you know what I mean. Um, he still fits into this, and I think that his slang use is really good. I really like that, just the fucking... Just, just... I don't know how to... I can't cook, I gotta save my energy for being awesome. Like, <laughs> I'm so great. 
I also love in the last episode where the twins are taking on Maka and Toma, and he comes in, hey guys, have they lost yet? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck? Really, bro? Stop, fuck. I love the, hey guys, have they lost yet? And they all kind of look at him like, dude, what the hell? <laughs> like, the entire team kind of, like, looks at him like, what the fuck, buddy? I thought you were on our side. Like, he literally just keeps showing up, and that's what I, I really like that about the character. I think that Odyssey is so is so endearing, and I like that he plays kind of a foil to Toma, where they both clearly take this game very seriously, but where Toma's an introvert and doesn't really know how to how to interact with others and he gets jealous Arashi is very easily able to slip in there and yet they both suck at hyping up their teammates <laughs> yeah. um episode five the ending of episode five is a goddamn trip um either way i both i really like both these performances so are we good to move on to the next pair yes switch sides S- switch side so let's talk about the first two members of the uh shinjo minami middle school soft and the school. loudest ones of the bunch <laughs> and, the, and the two loving i can lovingly describe them as the other one's missing brain cell they are shingo takinouchi and subasa suga shingo is a redhead uh very loud kind of aggressive guy on the team who used to be paired i think with tayo yes. um he used to be paired with tayo and he kind of just grabs onto poor Tayo and like beats it, kind of like beats on him in a loving way. He's yeah, also got a little sister named On who goes missing at one point, but we'll get to that in the next segment. Because boy howdy, mm. ah, boy howdy. And then there, howdy. And then there's Subasa Suga. Subasa is also loud, but he's a little bit the he's kind of the mellower one yeah. and the smarter one. He's the smarter one of the two of them. <laughs> Shingo is the biggest idiot on the team. Um, but you find out that Subasa is the youngest of three brothers. Uh, the youngest of three, a set of three brothers. And he's the only one that doesn't play soccer anymore. Which kind of upsets their dad. Because their dad is an ex-soccer player. And he won't let go of his glory days. And this results in uh, Subasa storming off at one point calling his dad an asshole, and his dad smacks him, and he falls down the stairs and breaks his wrist for two months. Uh, Tsubasa is also theorized to have the single most fucked up reference to any other piece of Japanese media in the entire show, being that his dad really likes soccer, and if you know anything about Japanese manga, a very famous soccer manga is called Captain Tsubasa. Uh, we, we would have done that if it had a simulcast a new series, but uh, that didn't happen. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, oh. thanks again, Johnny's. Um, thanks for nothing, you pieces of shit. Um, but, yeah, so, that's Tsubasa, and, and, and yeah, yeah. I, I think Tsubasa's original partner was... Rintaro. Rintaro? It was Rintaro. Yeah, his original partner was Rintaro. Uh, so, playing Shingo is Adam Gibbs, and playing Tsubasa is Rico Fajardo. Adam Gibbs, you will know a lot for his work at Sentai, but over at Funimation, he is... Uh, Mikihiko Higashita, uh, Higashita, and a certain scientific accelerator. Hokuto Hidaka in Ensemble Stars in Kuki Ure in Tokyo. Urie, Urie, Urie is still the single, the other single most best developed character in Tokyo. Urie, oh Urie, my my. Son. Rico Fajardo, you'll know his characters such as Daryun in the Heroic Legend of Arslan. 
uh, Mirio Togata in My Hero Academia, and Daisuke Shima in Space Battleship Yamato 2199 in Space Battleship, excuse me, Yamato 2202. Uh, Jet, go ahead. Okay, um, yeah, so these two were kind of the most dude bro each of the boys, so uh, it's definitely very <laughs> fitting that Rico Fajardo and Adam Gibbs give them the deepest voices of the group. And it definitely helps yeah. the two of them to kind of stand out a little bit compared to everyone else. Uh, I will say, though, that even though, I got, that even though I like these two and how Adam and Rico played them, uh, personality-wise, they felt like they were kind of the most interchangeable of the main pairs for most of the show. And uh, they came off as being kind of similarly brash and obnoxious towards uh, Nao and Tayo. So, I mean, even though, you know, they could be a little encouraging to them every now and then. Uh, so for a while, I had a little bit of trouble, like, distinguishing them. I mean, like, I mean, like, I could tell who was who, obviously, but, yeah, personality-wise, like, they didn't distinguish themselves that much for uh, the early parts of the show. Uh, but, uh, definitely, thankfully, they do get to distinguish themselves a little more later on, uh, when they learn a little bit more about their family dynamics, and, uh, yeah, they're pretty rough. Uh, Chico definitely comes off as, you know, being a little bit more carefree than Tulasa. His family seems a little happier. And, uh, well, again, we do get some hints that his relationship with his mom isn't the best and that she might resent him because he apparently comes from a previous relationship. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but that's uh, definitely the implication. Uh, either way, Adam Games definitely sells those little awkward moments of tension really well while, you know, also being able to put up a brave front. And I definitely liked his delivery during the scene where uh, he's where she goes comforting Tsubasa in the park. And uh, it's definitely the most gentle the character ever really gets a sound, and I thought Adam handled that really well. Uh, speaking of Shingo, uh, he definitely has quite a bit going on in his family, as both his father and brothers played soccer, and as we mentioned before, his dad definitely seems resented for quitting to play tennis. And, uh, and as someone who's had a milder, but uh, definitely a milder, but kind of similar experience growing up since... Uh, I was never really much of a sports guy, and my dad uh, definitely was never too happy about that since my brother was. Uh, I can relate to that at least a little bit, and I definitely appreciated how Rob Rico's performance felt in both the scene where he kind of lashes out at his dad for talking down to him, and uh, when he's in the park crying about how much he feels like his dad doesn't care about him. Uh, those bits definitely resonated with me, and it really helped to win me over on Tsubasa, so I'm really glad Rico stepped up to the plate here. And I thought both these performances were rock solid. Right on. I can't disagree with that. Um, the uh, uh, Mostly I can't disagree about you saying that they sounded interchangeable, because I also had a bit of a hard time differentiating the two. And it's not because uh, Adam and Rico sound exactly alike to each other, but it is because they have a very similar uh, aggressive voice to them. Um, Adam more so because his, um, his size and his facial animation gives the idea that he would he'd be almost like a bully character and he kind of is to um to maki near the beginning like he's the one who's the most standoffish against maki joining the team he berates him he almost feel like he's ready to, to uh you know throw hands at one point um but he's, he kind of softens up a little bit more as they they become more of pals and that strength become uh, that aggression becomes more of an asset because they become a really comp adam and rico become a comparable doubles team throughout the show um he doesn't really have um i don't think either adam or rico have like uh vocal affectations that are like too standout-ish especially compared to some of the other high school students we'll talk about um probably because they are going for the lower voice they're trying to sound closer to young males and even though i believe both of them are out of high school now i could be wrong but i think they are 
Um, they still sound believable enough as anime high school boys. It's such a shame that we couldn't get actual high school boys in this cast, but, you know, that, what, what you gonna do? They're in middle school. Middle, I can't tell the difference. I apologize. Yeah, but we could they get middle school. They keep saying sc- it's middle school, Noah. How can you not tell the difference? Because with these two, their voices are, you know, they're, they don't sound like middle school. I went to middle school once, and I'm pretty sure that none of the students I went to school with sounded quite this low. It, there's this thing called puberty, and there is a thing where it can hit kind of early for people. Uh, there's also this thing called anime, where characters don't always sound the age they're supposed to. Thank you, Jet. That's much more in line with <laughs> Remember, kids, Jotaro Kujo, jo- Jotaro Kujo is 15. <laughs> <laughs> no, and there's Giorno Giovanna. <laughs> no. He has a dream. <laughs> Uh, Rico, uh, speaking of having a dream, Rico's entire, uh, arc in this is, uh, pretty much gonna, everyone's gonna remember this for his confrontation with his dad, and I like the fact that the, uh, uh, kind of the archetypes of this kind of character who's, uh, got a bad relationship with their father is that their dad is, um, uh, just kind of non-confrontational in the way that they, they just ignore their kid entirely. Uh, this is the one where the dad is, is more, more like an actual soccer dad. And I can say that as someone whose kid has actually been in soccer before, who a dad who pushes their son to be the best because they view their kids as a reflection of themselves, mm-hmm. and so that that the way that Rico had to uh, both be an outgoing individual, but then be dragged back into his uh, issues with his dad in that episode uh, was uh, was kind of a bit of a mood mood switch, like a whiplash, but Rico handled it pretty well. And he's got more of a youthful energy than uh, I think than Adam does. So with uh, with that being said, yeah, these two may be a bit moronic dude bros, but they definitely bring a lot of energy that is welcome in a show that I think these two may have some of the yeah probably have some of like the the best uh, internal friendship of the the team. A couple more loudmouth shit gremlins. Uh. I say that with so much love because I love these two. <laughs> I say it because I care. Are are you like, a Meg? I'm sorry, Steph. Are are you a moron yes. sexual? It's a morosexual, <laughs> and that answer is very clear. <laughs> I know where this joke is going, so I'm gonna just fill in the blanks for people. Yes, have you met my boyfriend? I, could, I, I knew where this joke was going. So, so there we go. Um, How do you spell uh, FBI? Starts ripping clothes. Oh my god, you are such a moron. <laughs> what color is the Pink Panther? <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's my personal favorite one. That's my personal favorite. Hey, what color is the Pink Panther? God, you're so fucking stupid. Take off your shirt. <laughs> Oh god. Anyway, god, where do I even start with these? Um yeah, so these so Shinjo and Suga, these two obviously are the biggest loudmouths of the entire team. They are rowdy, they are rambunctious. And at first, they are both absolute dickheads. Especially when uh, Maki joins the team, they are absolute dickheads. Um but once they kind of start working together as a pair, because originally they 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 had different partners and then they were paired together um, to try and find a more 
compatible compatible pairing for to make to have people like not suck um <laughs> they're not you suck let's try this their dynamic is actually so much fun i think one of my favorite moments is their practice match <laughs> against um uh what was it misaki academy yeah, that's where that's that's right. Mis- that's where Rashi's from, Misaki. Yes. Go, go, Misaki. That that was probably one of my favorite points. <laughs> because like, so what do we know about our opponents? Oh, absolutely nothing. They're just very, very hard. Okay. Here's our approach. This is our strategy. <laughs> like they just become Let me see your war face. <laughs> like you have Adam in the back, like super strong smashing, bam! And then Rico's in the front is like Rah! <laughs> was he a dinosaur? <laughs> like, ah! like, it cracked me up the first time I heard it, and then I rewatched the entire show today. It cracked me up a second time because, like, after I completely they drink forgot about hers. it, they do drink in hers. Like, there's some crackhead energy or something going on here. Like, it's great. Um, <laughs> I just love it. They also, the two of them do similar to Austin Zarashi. They do have their moments of comedic relief, which is very much needed in the show. Um. But they also are pretty much a huge moral support system, especially when um, Suga um, da- uh, sprains, damages his wrist, and he's not. A, he, he gets it broken. He breaks his wrist, <laughs> and he can't play. So effectively, him and Shingo, Shinjo are out because Shinjo won't play in the tournament without without Suga, which is very sweet. Honestly, I'm like, ah, fuck no, I'm doing this with my partner, but he's not doing it, so I'm out too. Like, stand by your man. Uh, <laughs> um, but they're also very... They're also very... Um, m- they're very much a huge moral support, especially for um, Nao and Taijo um, when we get to them, because the two of them are probably the most meek members of the club. Um, m- meek and quiet, not as confident um, with their abilities. So it's a very interesting <laughs> combination to see... Um, they are such a great pair. I love them. They're probably one of my favorite pairs of the whole show because they work off of each other so well. It help. It does help that they are similar in personality, and I do kind of see what Jet was saying about like because they're so similar in personality, it can be a little bit tough to distinguish it, like which personality is belonging to which actual character. <laughs> so I can understand that. Um, but like Shinjo is just this happy-go-lucky, carefree kind of guy. Um, he's one of... He and Taijo are the two we don't have a lot of, like, deep story with. And I would imagine if we did have a second half of the show, we would get that. Because they're the only two members of the team, I think, that don't really have that much of a personal story attached to them. Though Shinjo's does get hinted at a little bit. And then you have... Then you have Rico Asuga. Poor, poor Rico. <laughs> he just wants to do something he likes. He just wants to do his own thing and not be judged for it. His dad's an asshole. <laughs> That's the theme of this episode. Parents are assholes, ladies and gentlemen. Aw, thanks, gonna... Luck. I didn't know you cared so much. Ah, uh, yes. I love you too, you motherfucker. <laughs> I, 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 what did I ever do? I, I want my Christmas present back now. Okay, fine. I'll put it in the mail tomorrow. <laughs> wow. That that that's 
What? Do you really think I was gonna be? You what? You really think I was gonna fight against it? I gotta keep this bit going, Noah. Just apologize. Just say not all. I hashtag keep... not all parents. <laughs> Fine. Not all parents are assholes. Just a lot of the parents in the show. <laughs> there you go. That's a good way to say it. <laughs> not all parents are assholes, ladies and gentlemen. Just most of the parents in this show are. Um, yeah, Suka's dad is, oh god, he's a, such an asshole. <laughs> like, there's a lot of expectation, and you guys are right, like, he's just stuck in the glory days, and he wants his children to experience that, and he's not accepting Suga, just, like, not wanting to do soccer. Um, yeah, these two are similar in personality, and they have great moments, like, freaking yelling and screaming at the top of their damn lungs, but... It they play. I think they play off of each other very, very well, uh, given the circumstances. And I would love, because Suga's is a small glimpse. Shinjo has is like a small, small, small like speck of a glimpse. I would love to know more story, more of the story of these two. In all honesty, but um, both Adam and Rico are so much fun. Like I think they're among some of my favorite performances of the show because they're just too good. They're too much fun to me. I, I will agree that I, I don't think that you were trying to attack any parents on that. And the, the show does have very realistically awful parents. That's what makes it so potent is that yep. these aren't these aren't Saturday morning cartoon villains. These, these are human beings who had children yep. and grew up and grew up to have very warped ideas about how to raise their kids. Yeah, it's un, like it's unfortunate to say this. And it, in some cases, it, they exploit the Japanese legal system. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate to say this I think that's one of the reasons why this show is so grounded because they don't sugarcoat it um, and they give these adults realistic perspectives and these the trauma and the turmoil that these kids go through it's unfortunately it's not something you can just sugarcoat Um, and I'm actually really glad that they took this very seriously honestly uh, this, uh, oh. uh, yeah, uh, this is entirely unrelated, because, uh, but it is something I like mentioned online before. Yeah. Uh, in hindsight, it is kind of unfortunate this came out in the same year that Astro Lost in Space did, because they both have very similar themes in that regard. Oh, and this you're show, right. Uh, and, and, like, except this show is kind of, except uh, Astro is more like, you know, um, you know a little more... Uh, High spirited, uh, kind of very shonen-y about it, mm-hmm. and this is and this is a lot more like raw and grounded. So it is kind of, I mean, I, I mean, like I still like Astro a lot, but it is kind of like, yeah, it is unfortunate these both came out in the same year. Yeah, they both handle the subject matter in different ways, yeah. and I don't think either series is wrong for the way they go about no. it. Like, give, give, given 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 the there's... kind of material that both of them are, like they're two different genres yeah. anyway. So yeah, okay, like, cor- I want to talk. Sorry, if I if I could go into Jet's point, like, I want to talk about a series that also deals with this, but they do it in, like, the fucking worst way possible. Uh-oh. And I had a genuine discussion with someone who I'm like, I don't know why, and it's and it's it's fitting because one of the, the characters that I'm about to bring up is played by Rika Fajardo. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very weird to watch something like both Astra and Stars Align that very much go out of their way to say, no, the, this this type of abuse, this emotional controlling, or, like, grooming your kids to be a certain way so that you can control them are bad. And, like, that type of shit is bad, but, like... And I know I know Jet's not there, and this is a full spoiler for anybody who's not there, 
But it's so interesting in how tone-deaf uh, Black Clover is about child abuse. Uh, in regards to the uh, Silva family. I was like, okay, I mean, like, I have read the comics, so I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, uh, stop, I stopped can, watching Black Clover. I'm like 20 plus if we behind. Can, if we could talk about, just genuinely, very quickly. Um, Black Clover has a very tone-deaf way about going about what the Silvas did to Noel. Oh, yep, okay, yep. Um, like... And people are like, oh, well, Noelle gets that moment where she beats the shit out of uh, Solid, and she gets that moment in front of everybody, and I'm like, yeah, but you know what the show also does? You know what the show also does? Tries to romanticize how uh, uh, Nozelle was protecting her, and be like, oh, I was doing it because you reminded me so much of our dead mom. Uh, and, and... In that show, some of the things I'd like to describe to you that Black Clover has uh, the Silva family do to Noelle goes uh, beyond, one, ostracizing her in a society that uh, looks down on people for their ability to use magic and to not use Mm it. Um, They break her toys. Um, and, like, they are, they physically hit her around, they, they embarrass her at any, they embarrass and talk down to her at any function and at any moment they can. Um, and, and to me, the, the absolute worst one is, I believe Nozell himself says, you should have died when we, you were born instead of your, our mom dying. And, and eventually the show's like, oh, he was doing it to protect her, isn't that great? Isn't he such a noble character? He was just doing it all to protect her the whole time. Child abuse. Ha ha What was that? Wipe it under the rug, everybody. Shonen, shonen rug wiping. You know, just like how Sasuke is allowed back in the village. Um, just, yeah. So, uh, and I'll move into my thoughts now. As soon as I take this large gulp of water. Yeah. In the style of... Of Kermit drinking his tea. As I, as I, oh boy, I was about to say, you're putting me, you're, I was say, you're always putting me in the awkward position of saying, like, Sasuke's mellowed out slightly. <laughs> <laughs> he's mellowed out slightly, but he's still a goddamn terrorist. Um, he's still a goddamn terrorist. So is Orochimaru, but yet we had to let Neji stay dead. Um, uh, rest in peace, Neji. Granted, Neji, Neji wasn't the, the shining, most shining light to begin with, but at least he got his shit kicked in and he got better. Yep. Um, and, and to the credit of this show, I think that Adam Gibbs and Rico do a really great job as their characters. Um, I actually can tell Shingo and now in a Subasa part. Um, I can tell by their personalities. Were like Subasa was kind of a dick, but he wasn't Shingo. Shingo was Shingo was the second most antagonistic person to him on the team. Sans uh, Itsuki, <laughs> like Itsuki tries to legitimately kill him. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Itsuki legit tries to knock off Maki's head. Ah, um, uh, yes. Itsuki, another Shingo- troubled child. <laughs> Shingo is Shingo is more or less the guy who's just trying to bust your balls. And, and granted, it is a little weird that he's a little physically violent with, he's a little physical with some of the people, knowing that Maki gets beat by his dad. Um, but I think that Adam brings this, like, kind of gruff, growlier Adam Gibbs, 
Like, you get Adam Gibbs for specific things, and I don't think I've ever heard Adam Gibbs kind of be this loud, obnoxious kid that I can remember. Usually Adam Gibbs is very much the stoic, like, your, uh, your leads in Hyoka and, like, uh, what's-his-nuts from Devil- Onzai from Devil's Line, to which I still will never get over Noah learning that Lucy Christian was in that show. Um, oh, Lucy, is that you? Um, Save that footage forever. It's on the internet already. Uh, compared to Rico S. Subasa, who is a little bit more mellow, he's kind of loud, but I think he's kind of, he is the smart one of the two of them. And you can kind of hear it in his performance that he's, like, a little bit more mature. And of all the things in this show that make me actually kind of nearly, like, almost cry or cry out, it is when he gets hit down the stairs. And the way that I feel like I know acting is acting, but, like, I wonder if he's ever had that moment in his life where he just, you're an asshole and you, like, don't support my, my life and my ambition. And I think that he, he pulls it out in this very raw way. And and I think the other moment of credit I really want to give to, to, to Rico is when he's at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And the doctor's like, did someone, was there somebody else involved? He's like, uh, you know, I do stupid stuff all the time. And, like, you can hear it in his voice where he wants to say, yeah, someone, my dad hit yep. me. But he also doesn't want to, to admit it. Because you have to imagine that something like this is really awkward. And, and we'll get to to that, too, in a minute. Um, but I overall, I think they both did a good job. I, I don't have as much to say about Adam Mosley because Shingo does kind of, next to Tayo, fade into the background the most. But that's only because I think the show cut had to cut what he was going to do because of the whole production committee shit. Um, so, are we good to move on? Yes. Yep. yep. All right, so let's get to Steph's favorite character. My son! Um, we, my son. I will protect him. Happiness and sunshine from now on. Nope. Oh, nope. no. Suffer. We're going to talk about my son, motherfucker. <laughs> We're going to talk about Sufferball. Welcome to the Sufferball. Oh, I didn't know Phil was in this show. Shut up. No, technically Ray is my son. Phil is Gigi's son, and because I I won't take Phil because Gigi will kill me. <laughs> uh, and, like, and they is... are all my children. <laughs> Just like I like claim yeah. to be all of them, bitch. Like I started this before all y'all did. Right now, right now, Jet is praying for the survival of uh, Jemima. Something something manga spoilers. Oh my God. Um, so there's now Skinose. Now is a quiet pathological liar for reasons, and <laughs> that his mother is what I would lovingly, I, I I hatefully refer to her as the ultimate Karen. <laughs> um, and then there's Tayo Ishigami. Tayo is just a very nice boy. Tayo is a good boy. <laughs> Tayo is <laughs> Tayo is the one member of the team who doesn't. We don't know who has anything going yep. on. He's just nice. He's just nice. <laughs> He's adorable. Tayo, Tayo, I joking like part of me kind of jokingly wants to refer to Tayo as their mascot because Tayo is like a puppy, <laughs> and he just constantly looks like something bad's gonna happen to him. <laughs> like I worry about Tayo's safety most days. Just <laughs> playing now is Matt Shipman. Playing Tayo is Dallas Reed. Matt Shipman, you'll know his character such as. Hideo uh, Sotomura in Classroom of the Elite, Kazuya Kujo in Ghostsick and Chrome and Dr. Stone. His awful, awful mother is played by Caitlin Glass. 
Dallas Reed, you'll notice characters such as Asta in Black Clover, Satoshi Fukube in Hyoka, and Yamato no Kami Yasusada in Token Rampu Hanamaru. And in fitting fashion, Tayo's parents are played by Asta's fire parents in uh, Black Clover, Monica Rial, and J. Michael Tatum. <laughs> Shut up, Melo Leonis' mom now. <laughs> also, Melo Leona, please step on me. Um, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I'm sorry! Melo Leona's fucking attractive! Don't apologize! You're not, you're not wrong. Don't but I was wondering when that was going to come out. <laughs> Melo Leona could bench press me and I'd be okay with it. <laughs> she could make me her Lion Queen any oh day. Oh my god. Haza Benya. Anyways. Jet, save us. Ride my rock. Okay, uh, anyways, now, uh... Yeah, so these two are basically like the Cinnabons of the tennis team, and they deserve all the protection and love of the world. Well, I mean, uh, to an extent, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting with uh, Dallas Reed and Tayo, since, uh, since uh, like Megan just said, uh, out of all the boys, he kind of made the smallest impression on me. Uh, for a lot of the show, you know, he's just kind of there being, you know, very soft-spoken, very nice, and very short on confidence, uh, which Dallas Reed does very well. Uh, given the uh, character he's best known for playing at this point, uh, Tayo is definitely about as far a cry from that loudness as you can get. Uh, uh, he is, uh, this is definitely not Asta. Uh, aside from that, though, about the most Tayo really has to do with the end of the show where uh, we finally get to meet his parents, who I guess are objectively the least terrible of the bunch next to Maki's mom, who is basically an angel compared to everyone else. And uh, while it's definitely clear that uh, Tyra's parents think uh, a little too highly of him, and I definitely like Dallas's delivery when uh, Tyra's parents say like, "Oh well, it's, it's like oh okay if you it's okay if you lose if you do it's that other boy's fault," and uh, Tyra immediately sets up for him, and uh, that was definitely the most confident Tyra ever said that I thought that moment was really sweet and Dallas handled that very well. Uh, but of course, what I'm really here to talk about is Matt Chip and it's now because oh boy does this poor kid have a lot going on. Uh, so what do we? Yeah, uh, so when we first meet now, you know, he's another, like a very laid-back, if kind of soft-spoken kid who likes to exaggerate things every now and then. And, you know, Matt Simmons' performance makes him sound, you know, very likable. Uh, but as the show goes on, we see more of Dow's home life. We see that, you know, his whole tendency to tell lies is uh, his way of coping with the pressure his over-controlling mother inflicts on him on a regular basis. And I was just as impressed with Matt's performance or those moments where now makes, you know, a couple of small attempts to assert himself over her. Or he desperately tries to convince himself that he's changed enough not to let her influence, you know, affect all of his decisions forever. And uh, while I certainly haven't had any same parental experience at nowadays, that sentiment is still pretty relatable to me. And Matt Shipman definitely nails it in a way that sounds equally sincere and desperate. Uh, but of course, the most fighting mode of his performance is probably the bit where uh, Shigo sits there and is sleeping in the nurse's office after she went missing, and uh, he decides to lock her in there so the process will be cancelled, and that he'd be free from the guilt of having it cancelled because of his mom. Uh, since I work with small kids at least five days out of the week, I would absolutely get fired if I did anything like that. Uh, I was definitely a little annoyed that everyone was kind of immediately forgiving him now for doing something that dangerous, even if I did kind of sympathize with him. Uh, but the bad simply so the anxiety in that moment well enough that I was hard to get too mad over it. And I definitely felt the turmoil now I was feeling in those moments, and it was definitely one of the strongest parts of the dub. So, uh, Matt Chipman, really great job. And, uh, and I was really also doing a good job. I just wish the character had a little more to do. 
I agree because I was watching the show and making my notes for all the characters. Like I knew the names of all the characters on the team, and just waiting and waiting for something to write down for Tayo as like, okay, what what's his defining personality? Like what's his big moment? What's his character event? And it never came. He's a nice guy. He's, he's a, nice a guy. he's just a good boy. Which is they exist. I swear to God, they do exist. And the show gives uh, Dallas a chance to uh, just be like, uh, you know, he's meeker sounding than the rest. But that doesn't make him. Um, that doesn't make him uh, not a force to be reckoned with, because you can hear in the lines that he gets the anxiety that he's got for. Like he wishes that the team would do better, but he he can't really bring himself to care in the beginning. But then he kind of marvels at how much better they're getting, or the fact that there's a passion in the group once Maki comes around. I think it, I don't remember if he's the one, but I think he's the one who initiates the. Everyone put their hands in after that 20 lap run in episode two that basically kills all that's of them. That's Rain that's, that's Rain okay, I, I, That's That's VP. See, I, I wish that Atayo had uh, like moments that stood out a little bit more, but it's okay to have uh, you know less prominent characters on the team because that is reality. That's real life. There's not always going to be larger than life personalities in your group. Sometimes you've just got regular, meek, soft spoken boys who do look like a puppy who would just, you know, bark if you patted them on the head, right? Uh, switching to Matt Shipman, though. Okay, here's a challenge for you. Here's an acting challenge for you. Uh-oh. Act like you're not acting when you are acting. Here's what I mean. There's a scene where now, like you said, Jet, uh, is basically lying to the team about where one of their uh, sisters are, and he has to pretend like he doesn't know where she is. And you can, um, I don't know if you've ever lied before, I'm sure none of you have lied, but for those of you who have, you know that it's very difficult not to give yourself away, to not like have some sort of like vocal tick or something in your voice that kind of gives away the fact that you're not being totally honest. What Matt had to do was he had to voice now in a way that he was saying, I don't know where she is, in a completely straight, ball-faced lie, without giving himself away. And that's... Uh... I mean, it's kind of interesting you say that because it kind of felt like the implication that people could kind of tell he was lying very quickly. But uh, I think that I was know. I think that was more in the animation side of it because like, he he wasn't making eye contact with the characters. He, he was doing the vocals, <laughs> the acting ticks. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess that's like the way he was shifting. I, I guess it's the way he was shifting around and speaking. It felt like the other characters could kind of tell he was probably lying. I don't know. When he was more confronted about it, like yeah, when yeah. when they yeah they press him like, do you know where he where she is? And he's like, I don't know where she is. And it gets a lot more fake sounding at that point. But leading into that, it's very hard to do that to you know act like you're not acting when you're acting. Uh, which is to go, it's a very roundabout way of saying Matt did a good job on playing the the softer pathological liar side of Now's character. I don't want to say like that was the entire point of him because he's also he gets to be a good uh, double as well for Tayo throughout the show and they they both get moments of wow we can actually do this like they get points against people they play against they don't they do at points for a good chunk of it actually feel like they can't hold up their team that they have to rely on the stronger members so the moments where they do well are kind of like a whoa, we, we don't suck. Like, we can actually do this, and it's very uh, refreshing to listen to that. So Matt and Dallas, a uh, good group together. It's just a shame that Now's mom is such a piece of shit because that is not... Not only is it awful, 
it's a believable kind of awful. It is a controlling, and I, how am I supposed to say no to my own mother kind of archetype that is unfortunately very real in a society that doesn't care about who you are as a person and just demands your exponential success. So with Tayo, I do unfortunately have to agree with a lot of things you guys have just said because Tayo is one of the two characters on the team that we don't have a lot of a character arc or story arc for him to work with. I will disagree, though, that there is no distinguishing moment for Tayo. The reason why I say this. So at the start of the tournament, Tayo's parents show up, right? And his parents are just being sweet and overbearing. You're like, don't worry, because if you lose, it takes two people, so it's not your fault. And Tayo basically defends <laughs> his doubles partner because of that. Like, Tayo, has, Tayo, even though he's meek, he does have his moments where he'll, like, stand up for himself and stand up for people that he cares about. So he just had an outburst. It's like, no, if we lose, it's on both of us. It's not just my partner. It's both of us, and we weren't good enough. Like, so he has a moment. I'm going to disagree that he didn't have any, like, distinguishing moments. And I felt that was a distinguishing moment for Dallas in that situation. Um, otherwise, he is kind of quiet. He is kind of shy. Um, <laughs> there's there's the phrase that was used very early on before the doubles partners were changed, where it was leader and lackey. Dallas is very much a lack in the lackey role in that scenario. Um, I think it was him, Rintaro, and probably now were the lackeys in this situation of the old doubles partners. But um, I really like, I really, really did like Dallas, even though there's not a lot to go off of. He's very sweet. He just needs a confidence boost, and he has those moments of confidence that he gets from the games and everything like that, and just learning as he goes. So I really enjoy that. The second that Matt Shipman, or should I say, the second now, the first time I saw his interaction with his mother, I wanted to protect this boy. <laughs> like, <sighs> and it's stupidly ironic that Matt Shipman's voicing him, because, <laughs> so... <laughs> After after the Dr. Stone episode, I watched more and more of the show, of course, and we all know Matt Shipman is Chrome. Chrome is my son. <laughs> Chrome is my good science boy. Chrome is my favorite. When I was watching more of Stars Align, and I specifically got to the start of Now's character, po character points where he, he has his interactions with his mom, and he goes, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. This is another kind of child abuse in its way. Child abuse does not have to be physical. It can be mental and psychological, too. This is just another form of that, how I feel about it. So, to see this happen to now, all of a sudden, I'm just like, I want to protect this child. He is my son, who again happens to be voiced by Matt Shipman. I'm like, what is this blarky going on here? He, I even tweeted this, and he liked it, too. Like, okay, this is my son, this is my other son, and they're both voiced by Matt Shipman. What the fuck? <laughs> anyway, um, and I think, I think part of the reason why I really like now as a, I, I like now as a character, and I feel just so sympathetic to him, um, more, I think, I'm not gonna delve too far into it. It's more for personal reasons, I feel, um, that I feel very connected to this character, um, and the trauma that he goes through. So, 
trauma like this in general can be very difficult to pull off. Um, so I think Matt does fantastic uh, with this situation and all this stuff he's given. And the coping mechanism of being a pathological liar, that's an interesting situation. Um, because he likes, like, in the beginning, it is hinted at and is made very clear, and you guys have brought it up. Oh, he'll just exaggerate things sometimes. But then we get, when it really comes to a head with his story, and all of a sudden we're trying to find Shinjo's little sister, and he finds her, he locks her in the nurse's office while she's napping, and just starts flat out lying. And I think the most telling part of Now's situation is the conversation that happens after that with um maki toma um yuta and um crap kanako kanako thank you um where they're talking about everything and now it's home life and even they straight up call it child abuse in that situation too did you say it was kanako oh yeah kanako is her name ripsies (laughs) like how they talk about his home situation and it's like you, this, this is a coping mechanism where you want to be, where you lie to yourself so much that you want to believe your own lie and then there's no other truth aside from that and it's very interesting and I god I want more of the show because I would love to see how this character develops because by the end of it like he he's starting to come into his own too like, this is what I like. This is fun for me. Like, this isn't a waste of time. And he completely ignores his mom because of it. Like, even though his mom's a pain in the ass. <laughs> and straight up is like, I'm going to talk to your advisor and stir shit up. And which, by the way, highest compliment to Caitlin Glass when I say this. I hate you so much. I want to punch you into the sun. <laughs> This is going to be brought up again for another character later on today. But either way, (laughs) both of these characters are very good. And I love the performances so much. Um, It's a shame Dallas doesn't get to have a little bit more. I would just imagine if there was a continuation, there would be more for Dallas to do in the second half. Because I imagine we would get something for Tayo. Um, But considering... Now's character arc and what he's going through. Matt Shimon, I just loved every second of it. Um, and you you just couldn't tell until you actually really dove into it that there was something going on with him and his home life. Uh, now, I want to protect my son. I will protect my son the day I die. Now, I love you. <laughs> you are my child now. <laughs> Along with Chrome and Ray. <laughs> and do I have any more sons? <laughs> Lilac has basically procured a banquet of boys from doing this podcast. No, these are my... Ch- no, 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 no. Banquet of boys only applies if you want to see him fuck. Ba- that's that's banquet of boys right there. These are my children. <laughs> see, once I get her to sit and watch Ensemble Star, she's going to pick up like seven more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a full house of sons. It's going to be great. Anyway. I, I do like that you mentioned the, the fact that uh, both Dal, I'm sorry, not Dal's, but Tayo and Nao's uh, home lives are very different from each other because their personalities yeah. are, like, they're equally meek yes. uh, from the offset. But we see that they got that way from completely different ways. One was browbeaten into it, but the other one was mm-hmm. just, like, a nice boy. 
That, that's kind of yeah. that's nice that the show doesn't cop to the idea that nice boy all and probably can... and probably like a bit overprotecting parents because Taijo Ty, uh, Taiyo's parents are a bit overprotective too. I, glad, take that like like have dorky overprotective parents over every other option we've got in this show. Oh yes, yes, absolutely. Tayo's parents, meanwhile, they're just very shitty at it. Yes. <laughs> that, that's that's like, why they're shitty. Like, now is right fucking there. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, that part is was... right fucking there. <laughs> uh, anyway. I'm still here. Like, like, it's like, damn. It's like, damn, son. Um, <laughs> like, the rest of the team is like, ah, oh, shit, they come to every game. <laughs> like... They're the obnoxious parents in, like, every, like, kid's sports movie. Like, go, son! Round them bases! <laughs> I'd also like to point out the cutest shit ever on Twitter is that uh, Jill Harris loves Tayo to pieces and made, like, a protect him. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. We love you, Jill. <laughs> we, we love would, you, Jill. We would take a softball for Tayo. <laughs> I would take a softball for Tayo. He doesn't deserve that. <laughs> Tayo's a sweet child. Tayo is a cinnamon Tayo's roll. Is too good sweet. here for this Tayo's world. Tayo is too good for the sinful earth. <laughs> <laughs> True facts, my other favorite Jill Harris post was uh, name your nine favorite fictional characters and if you knew anything, they were all characters Dallas plays. <laughs> <laughs> loyal. That's great. She's a loyal. She's 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 fantastic. What was I one of them Jill. the was one of them the kid from uh Hyoka? <laughs> God, God, for fuck's sake, they made that ship cannon in real life. <laughs> no, for real. Like, if anybody doesn't know, Dallas Reed and, and Jill Harris are married. Yep. They are yep. married. Um, they are not their characters, but yes, they are married in real life. Um, Tayo is a character I'm pretty sure they would have gone somewhere. Um, I think he also has another establishing moment before he yells at his parents, and that is shoving his foot in his mouth. Because, um... When they're, when they're, uh, because the other thing you know about Tayo is that Tayo has two older sisters. Is that Tayo also has an older sister. And at one point, they talk about, I don't know if, or am I confusing it with E.T.? I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, you're right. Tayo, as far as we know, doesn't have siblings. Yeah. Okay, I'm messing up with Itsuki. I was gonna say, like, I think Itsuki at one point says, like, yeah, isn't it normal for girls to eat a lot? My sister eats, like, five meals a day. Yeah, that was And yeah, I'm just like, y'all are digging your own hole, you dumb boys. Yeah, that's, that's easy. Tayo's, Tayo's adorable. I think the other thing I really like about Tayo is that he also is this counterpoint of, like, softness compared to how hard some of the other boys are. And he really does mean well. He really does. And... It's just, you feel so bad for him, but I really wish that... And it's so nice to get to hear Dallas use his soft voice. It is so nice to see Dallas be his soft boy yes. again. So, there's that. And then Matt Shipman knocks it out of the park as uh, Now. Now is a character who is very complex and nuanced to play. I would say outside of maybe Toma and Maki, he is by far the other most nuanced character to play. Mostly because... They they reveal his issues very subtly through yes. the show. Mm -hmm. um, and shout out to Caitlin Glass for playing the fucking worst mom who delivers one of the lines is, how can you even enjoy a barbecue? You're not old enough to drink. Yep. Which makes me wonder if uh, she's had a couple of those in her day. And there are just so many things where, like, you just hear, you can just hear in Matt's voice, like, the shakiness mm -hmm. 
of him trying to lie to his mom. Uh, and one of the details I also would very much like to point out to the credit of Stars Align as a production and how how good the details in this is that now it is is ambidextrous. Yes. Because mm-hmm. there's there's a crack there's um a comment made about him being a southpaw. His mom his paw. But when he's at home he's eating with his left hand. At one point his mom tells him to use the right yep. hand. He's using his mm-hmm. wrong hand. And and because we're not talking about Caitlin herself as like a solo thing. I also want to give credits to the part where Caitlin is looking at the picture of him on the phone where he's still a baby. That was creepy. And it's it's one of the most it is literally one of the most terrifying scenes in the show. Uh it is probably like number three in terms of terrifying scenes in this anime. Number one's coming up in the next segment to me. <laughs> is that she's talking about how he's always going to be her little boy and she's doing what's best for him. And it's clear that you see that to to now his mother now isn't a a, a thirteen to fourteen year old boy, now is a five year old mm-hmm. or like a three year old yep. to her. And he will never advance beyond that stage to her. It's at his age. She is oh he is always going to be this static trapped image of a child on her phone. And I really love how the scene where um him and Tayo kind of look at each other and Tayo goes, what's the matter? And I really like Dal- Dallas is acting. And he goes, oh, it's nothing. And he like, finally, he just blocks her call, puts his phone in his bag. And he just, Matt's been through so much. And you have that moment where he's like, he's obviously badly lying to them and stuff. But to me, this, this one moment of optimism in Nao's life where he's just like, you know, I think I know why I like coming to this. I love soft yep. tennis. It makes me, it makes now feel alive. And you can hear that in Matt's performance. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a, a very well done, subtle performance through for, for this. And it's very grounded. And in a year where Matt has played one of the most over the top characters, I think you can get in Chrome. Mm-hmm. Um, and he plays another kind of piece of shit character in, uh, in, um, ensemble stars and then uh because as of the time of this recording he this will be this will be coming out in the dub soon or this will be out uh he's about to come back as inasa and my hero yep. who is about the biggest departure from from now that you will ever get uh, inasa in general so, is a, the biggest departure from matt shipman you can fucking get and you'll ever get uh that that performance hurts him apparently uh not surprised so so yeah, no, really big shout out to Matt. This is one of I think one of his more impressive performances. Absolutely. So, all right. So, uh, biasly, we're moving from Steph's favorite character to Megan's favorite character. Yay! This is now Megan's um, son. This is Megan's <laughs> Megan's baby. Uh, mostly because uh, we will explain why why one of these characters is very 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 near and dear to my heart. There is Ritaro Futsu, who is the vice president of the tennis of the soft tennis club. He is academically the smartest character on the... He is the smartest character on the mm-hmm. team. Um, he's a very sweet, good-natured, very uh, optimistic... He seems like a very good, sweet, optimistic boy. But deep down under it, you realize that Rintaro has immeasurable self-worth issues. Stemming from the fact that he is adopted. Yep. And he, he was made aware that he was adopted at a young age due to Japanese law. Which, again, credit to this show that actually goes into this. Itsuki Amino is a fucking gremlin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Amino is a smart alecky, very kind of oddly vicious boy. But you realize that it is kind of a way to self-protect himself. Itsuki... Oh, God. I remember when episode three of this came out in the Japanese, because this is a show I followed in both languages. So many people were mortified when episode three came out. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. It was Itsuki just really does... directed in a way that it was kind of hard not to. Yeah, uh, remember when I said that uh, Nal's mom talking about how her son will never grow up was the third most terrifying thing in the show? To me, the first most terrifying thing in the show is how Itsuki got his back scars. Yep. Yeah. It is genuinely one of the most disturbing things you will ever watch in an anime. And I've watched, I've watched like, very a lot of gore anime. And honest to, honest to God... Itsuki getting his back scars fucked me up hard. Yeah. Rain Man got nothing it, on it, this. It is it is a very disturbing scene. It really is. Um, like, okay, just to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, um, you find that as a baby that Itsuki's mother burned his back with boiling water. Yep. And it, in a fit of what can... It, the show does not go into it or say it directly. However, if you, if you know things about the world... Uh, my theory, at least, is it was a fit of postpartum depression. Uh, that's not even, like, subtext at the point. The, the entire way that she's... It is straight up subtext. It is straight up text. Um, like, the way that it is described by the rest of the team is that she poured boiling water on him, and the only way they found out about it was that a bunch of neighbors heard him crying. Yeah. His own mother didn't react to it. Uh, it is, it is a scene that is, okay, look, I hate to dunk on people, like, if anyone says an anime that is this colorful and bright and that darkness can't be achieved through openly lit and openly colorful shot arrangements, uh, you're a liar, because I would point to episode three of the I'm about to say, show. you're a liar, watch that episode. <laughs> Just so, watch that sequence. Um, Dear God. It is- it is genuinely disturbing. It is so um, disturbing. It is genuinely something that I think I called Andrew after I told him to call me after he saw it, and he's like, "Megan, what the fuck?" <laughs> um, oh boy. So playing Rinzaro is Garrett Storms. Playing Itsuki is Derek Snow. Garrett Storms, you'll know his characters such as Kenta Akamatsu in King's Game: The Animation, my boy Kashi Kiyomitsu in Tokunobu Hanamaru, and Rem Kaginuki in Dance with Devils. Derek Snow, you'll know his characters as such as Shira Kusakabe in Fire Force, Natsumi Sasuke in Ensemble Stars, and Loen in Dance with Devils. Uh, fun fact, his sister is played by Kate Bristol. Yep, because um, Itsuki's show. older sister um, is part of the girls' tennis club. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so I guess I'll start with Itsuki since I'm a little more familiar with Derek Snow. Uh, I mean... Uh, of course, I've heard him in a few other things, the biggest, of course, being shit from Fire Force. And I want to say that really not anything like that performance, since uh, Itsuki, as we already mentioned, is a lot more reserved than Snarky. Uh, Itsuki, uh, okay, Itsuki isn't, like, quite the edgiest of the boys, but he's definitely the most sarcastic. And uh, Derek Snow does a really great job of giving him some sass, while, you know, still making the performance sound very natural. And it really likes how much he bounces off of the other cast members, especially Maki. And of course, in keeping theme, and of course, in keeping theme with the show, uh, his home life is very complicated. 
And uh, yeah, I honestly really did have to look away from the screen during that whole hot water scene. Like that was too much for me. And uh, and I and I also really liked Derek's delivery during that whole bit, uh, where Iski kind of snaps at some hecklers who were like talking about his home life, and uh, he just had the right amount of quiet fury for that moment. And uh, it really just felt like something snapped at Iski during that scene, and I really liked how Derek played it. I also just like that in general, Iski only becomes more general at letting. That in general, Weezky only becomes more comfortable with letting the others see his scars after that whole scene resolves. And I thought that was a really nice touch. I thought that was handled really well. And, uh, yeah, I like Weezky. Uh, moving on to Garrett Storrs as Rintaro. Uh, I've heard Garrett Storrs and a few other things, but I'm a little less familiar with his voice. And I thought the, the approach he took for Rintaro was pretty interesting. Uh, while a lot of the other boys sound, you know, generally very natural for the most part, uh, Garrett Storm's Rintaro has a very uh, high and kind of nasally pitch to it that sounds a little bit more like a typical anime character voice, and it kind of immediately stands out from everyone else. At first, I wasn't, like, too sure how to feel about it since it felt uh, maybe a little distracting in the beginning, uh, but the further I got into the dub, the more I felt Garrett kind of easing into it, and I definitely got a lot more out of the performance. And, of course, it helps that, like, now in Tayo, Rintaro mostly comes off as a cinnamon roll. And Garrett does a really great job of making him sound very sweet and polite in a way that makes him kind of hard not to like. Uh, but also, like, now in Tayo, he's a character with a lot of insecurities. And Garrett is just a strong during the moments where Rintaro is really down on himself. And, as we already mentioned, a lot of that has to do with his being adopted. And uh, Garrett does a really great job of, you know, making Rintaro's fears that he has to live up to some kind of Standard for his adopted parents to love him feel very sincere and also very depressing. But uh, even though we might not ever know how his arc wraps up, uh, concerning his birth brother kind of comes back into the picture towards the end of the show, mm-hmm. I feel pretty confident in saying that his adopted parents definitely did love him, and it's my hope that he gets to realize it and gets a happy ending, because they get at least one of these boys he needs to get a happy ending. Just just let someone be happy. <laughs> 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 no, 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 that's no, you're looking at the wrong show for that. There are no happy endings in this show. Uh either way, I definitely like Garrett's performance, even it if it took a little bit of time to win me over, and I thought both him and Derek did a really good job. <laughs> There's a uh what is it? Um I'm sorry, was it uh Rintaro or Itsuki who was the super smart one? Rintaro. It was Rintaro. that's okay. Because there's a scene where um uh I think uh, he's he's reading up in class about uh soft tennis tactics and uh he's totally not paying attention to the class lesson and then the teacher just says all right fine Rintaro can you solve this math problem and he like uh, x equals one and the teacher's just looking at it like this for once could you not make it look like I'm not doing my job <laughs> so yeah those, those little bits where you, you get fun fact the teacher is played by Morgan Garrett that does that she's also the coach of the girls yep. team yeah she yeah we, we get a lot of really good uh, we get two really good teachers in this show Morgan Garrett as uh, the um the female soccer female soft tennis coach and I forget who voices their advisor the boys Aaron team Roberts uh Aaron Ro- Aaron Roberts is their, their right teacher. yeah because since we have a section devoted to him I want to give those two credit because they they sound like believably mid-20s teachers who haven't quite left high school yet but are still, like, a very good source of support for their students. Side note, it seems like that Aaron Roberts' character has something for a story. There's something mm. there, but it doesn't go anywhere nope. because this show got chopped nope. in half. does not go anywhere. 
it, they started a lot of things. <laughs> yes, that, that, that side manga that they'll get, I'm sure we'll flesh that out a little bit more. But for the time being, we're not talking about them. We're talking about Rintaro and Itsuki. Uh, Rintaro, I'm sorry, Garrett's, uh, it's definitely the most cartoonish voice of the entire cast. He gives Rintaro this kind of warbled cartoonish voice that is, uh, I, I agree with Jed, it took a little getting used to, uh, just because I, I thought the acting performances in the whole show would be a little more on the grounded drama side of it. So when you have a character whose voice is uh, much more on the pre-puberty side of the middle schoolers, it becomes a little difficult to take some of the, the dramatic moments seriously. But luckily Garrett is a good actor, and the affectation he gives uh, Rintaro helps to humanize his struggle with dealing with the fact that he's adopted, or his uh, kind of snarky smartness to him. Uh, but it's still, it, he conveys a lot of emotion when he's confessing his backstory to them. He's kind of explaining about his mother's, um, you know, she was a teenage mother and he's been raised by, I believe it's aunt and uncle. I don't, I don't remember if he was uh, related to them by blood in any way. No, I think the way that they, they put it, he was put into an adoption. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and, and that final bit in, oh no, it's actually the first part of uh, the final episode where he's running looking for his mom because he got a text that his birth mom was in the crowd watching. Uh, it also conveys like, yes, this is a believable, this is how I would react if someone who I've never really met before was nearby. I'd, like, I, I'd want to meet them face to face. So good on Garrett for that. Uh, now switching to Derek Snow. Um, have you guys ever seen a show called... Um, uh, bamboo blade. Yes. No. Yes, no. I have. I own bamboo blade. It's one I of my also favorites. own bamboo blade. Thanks, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't I, watched it yet, though. The, all right. Itsuki is involved in the one thing in the show that uh, seemed like the least grounded in reality, and that is the fact that students who cause fights don't get suspended. Because in Bamboo Blade, there's a scene where a couple of characters, uh, and this is kind of near the end of the show, uh, basically they cause a fight to happen, and they're they're basically suspended from the school for that, because, you know, schools look down upon that kind of thing. And Itsuki takes a racket, and he smashes the head of a kid who's picking on him. Who fucking deserves it? Okay, if we're going by unrealistic, technically speaking, now probably should have gotten a much bigger punishment for technically locking a child in a classroom, so I mean... Technically. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't malicious, but when you say it like that, now locked a little girl in the in the nurse's office. It sounds much worse than it actually was. And left her th and left her there for a while. <laughs> okay, you're right. He should have gotten some punishment for that. And Itsuki not getting any punishment really for uh for smashing a kid, making him bleed and breaking the racket on a guy's head. Was kind of uh like mm, okay, I see. We're sugarcoating that a little bit. But to make up for it, Derek Snow does uh uh also um really good on portraying the what is supposed to be, obviously, a, again, a pre-puberty middle school boy. Like, he gives a bit of a nasally voice to Itsuki. Um, but uh, because he has the challenge of matching the almost uh, shit-eating grin smile that Itsuki has, especially when he's kind of, like, burying his sorrow for being picked on or for the fact that he has to wear these scars and that his mom, you know, very clearly wronged him, he, he conveys a lot of the... Um, as well as the twisted emotions inside, without it absolutely consuming him. Like, he hasn't, uh, you know, he hasn't gone Unabomber yet. He's still... Jesus Christ. Well, that went dark very quickly. 
Jesus Christ, it, okay, Noah. When you have a character who's kind of, like, I just saw Fire Force, obviously, and, you know, the archetype is if you're constantly smiling, it makes you look a little bit evil. And uh, Itsuki is smiling in scenes where he probably shouldn't be smiling sometimes as kind of like his coping mechanism. Oh, Lord. But l l let it be known, though, that uh, Derek does seem to get the fact that this is a character who is a good boy who has a lot of things that he has to get over. And being on the soft tennis team really seems to help out with that quite a bit. There's a lot of uh, camaraderie that the team has that helps them all get over their own individual hangups. And like you said, uh, Itsuki being comfortable enough to take off his shirt and show his scars to his teammates is uh, one of those subtle signs of progress that is nice to watch as the show goes along. Um, yeah, he's uh, D D Derek did a good job on this. Uh, I don't want to... Um, I want to say, just as a sign-off here, um, postpartum depression is not something that um, I, I'm, I would have been comfortable with them making fun of, which I don't think they do. That direction on the scene where we see his mom uh, being very miscombobulated because she can't take the crying, that that's what that kind of anxiety and that strain on your body does to you after you've given birth that's not something that can even be cured by some people. It's something that has to be helped with by being there as a support. You need people there to help support you and you yourself have to kind of deal with that until it's no longer is affecting you. So the fact that they portrayed it accurately without really making a joke out of it is I think uh, probably the highlight of, well, one of many highlights in the show. I'm going to start with Gara Storms as Rintero. Um, is a good boy. He's very smart, very knowledgeable, but like Megan was saying when he was describing him, he has problems with self-worth because he's adopted. And um, it becomes a thing because he, he originally tells um, Toma about this, where like my, my own mom didn't, my actual birth mom didn't want me. Like I'm not the son that my parents deserve because I'm not actually their son. Like... It just seems kind of heartbreaking when he when he ex like he yells that he exclaims that, and then Toma's just like, basically like, what are you talking about? They're your parents. They love you. You are their son. Like it doesn't matter. Um, like if it wasn't for Japanese law, he probably his parents probably 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 would never have told him. Yeah, I think the implication is that if they didn't have to tell him, they wouldn't yeah. have. Like, it was, it, like, in the, when Rintero was, when Garrett was explaining, like, the whole situation, how he had to learn when he was in fifth grade, like, his parents, they were, in that flashback, just, like, crying and upset. So you can tell that they didn't want to tell him. Um, and that they always think of him as his, as their son. Um, and I think Garrett plays that very, very well. It's probably, it is a very interesting um, story and dynamic. Um that isn't explored a whole lot in the show, rather briefly in one episode. But then again, when we get towards the end of it, because of his birth mom trying to kind of come into the picture a little bit, um, which is very interesting himself. I would have loved if he had met his birth mom, but at the same time, I don't think he needed to at that point. Like, it's not a time for him to meet his actual birth mom. Um, but Garrett's... Garrett's tone of voice, it's the ensemble stars thing. <laughs> Where, like, thank, God, thank the Lord I made Jet sit and watch that so he got used to it. 
like, I very, very vividly remember Jet. We made Jet watch the first episode of that, and we had a guessing game for who plays uh, Subaru in uh, Ensemble Stars. We had Stefan guess, so Steph eventually guessed, and, she, and, and, and Jet kind of was like, wait, what the fuck? And I look over, and I'm like, Jet, who'd you think that was? And he just goes, Dallas. <laughs> That's great. Which, to be fair... Garrett and Dallas do play dueling leads in a show that is very, very close to my heart. It's fair. So. It's fair. Ah, uh, Token Rambu. Um, no, but, like, it's the whole argument of, like, I didn't know Garrett Storms was capable of that kind of voice at all. <laughs> and I'm glad I had the small introduction of Ensemble Stars at A-Fest before going into Stars Align. That way I can recognize, oh, that is Garrett Storms. And, hmm. and I would imagine pulling off, it's, to me, it sounds like it's more of a falsetto tone of voice for um, Garrett. So I would imagine it might take mm-hmm. a little bit, it might be a little bit more difficult than what his normal range could be. Um, but he does make it seem rather effortless, so I have to give him credit for that. Uh, Derek Snow. <laughs> Ah, uh, uh, another little snarky, sassy little shit. Uh, <laughs> but in a good way. Um, I really love Derek Snow as uh, Itsuki because Itsuki is very, he, he's, he's small in stature, but he's a tough kid. Like, he's dealt with a lot of shit because he's dealt with so much... Hmm. Hmm. Because he's dealt with quite a bit of bullying about his home life and everything like that, and everything that goes on with him, and everything with his mom, too. Like, he's... he. It takes... The, the times you usually see, like, the poor home life kind of trope is with stereotypical poor families, right? It's never explicitly stated if his family's poor or not. They're just in a bad living situation. Um... I think the only character that they explicitly stay has financial issues is yes. mm-hmm. Maki is the only one. Um, because I don't think any of the other uh, kids come from homes of single parents. That's also... Well, Itsuki does. I mean, yeah, the... Because they're, they're, his parents div- are probably, like... Di- are divorced. They, they are, are divorced. divorced. I mean, after something like pouring boiling water on a little baby, I would hope you're not fucking nuts to stay with the wife. So, because of the slight rough upbringing and the state of his family life, of course, and also because his sister is really good at soft tennis, a lot better than he is, and he also gets teased for that sometimes. Um, he deals with a lot of shit. Um, so he does try to, he, he does take it out on people and not in the greatest way possible, i.e. beating someone over the head with a racket. Um, so he does have unfortunately violent tendencies, but only because it's just to defend himself, which I can understand. But like, even the characters in the show are like, dude, you shouldn't do that. Don't let him get to you. Like, you're just getting yourself in trouble. Like, don't do it. And even, like... One of the moments after that was, um... That I actually... I actually wrote this line down. It's where the clapback line comes in, actually. That we mentioned earlier. What? No clapback? Um, was talking about 
like Itsuki like telling one of the other guys, yeah, don't get, don't let him get to you, don't be violent or anything, and and then one of the other characters is just like, you're one to talk, and he's like, yeah, and then it's just, I think it was, I think it was now who's like, what, no, no, what, no clapback, <laughs> one of the other more soft spoken characters, but um, yeah, Derek Snow like. I'm going to repeat what I said during freaking W Awards, because probably this episode will come out after that. If y'all haven't been noticing Derek Snow as an actor, and you're sleeping on him, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> he is a great actor, and he does very, very well. And this this role is another thing to add to his wonderful repertoire that he like he's very like it's showing much more a lot more versatility um considering Itsuki is this kind of complex character so uh I do enjoy both Garrett Storms and Derek Snow uh though <laughs> Derek Snow is a snarky little shit and I love him to pieces for me uh I'm obviously gonna save Rintaro for last because Rintaro is Megan's favorite character um <laughs> Rintero is gonna make me cry. Talking about Rintero is gonna make me cry. So, um, for me, the thing I like about Derek Snow is that Derek Snow has always been a really good actor for me. I have genuinely liked Derek Snow in most things that he has been in. Um, like, uh, yeah, like, I, I think I went on record last year saying that I actually preferred his work over a very, very prominent Seiyu last year for a show he was in, so... I think the thing that I like about his Itsuki is that he does play Itsuki a little unhinged, mm -hmm. but in a subtle way. Like, when Itsuki talks about, uh, hey, did you know that a soft tennis ball still hurts when can leave a nice nasty bruise when you get hit really yep. hard? And he starts trying to fucking headhunt Maki. And you, you see that his defense mechanism is violence. Yes. Um, and when Aaron Dismute comes and taunts him about his sister and his, and his mom be his sister and then his mom, uh, because I think he says, man, it your sister, mu it must suck that your sister's stuck with like a brother like you mm -hmm. in a sense. And maybe this is why your mom's gone. Uh, and he just whacks this kid. Yep. Deservedly so. <laughs> Deservedly Side so. Side note, rest in, rest in piss Aaron Dismuke for that one. Oh, it's just, it, 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 it's a head wound, it bleeds a lot. Um, I'd also like to point out that the show goes very much, it's like, uh, one of the other things I really like about Stars Alliance, like, yeah, no, that kid fucking deserves it, but you can't respond to it with violence. Like, where they're like, yeah, no, that kid fucking totally deserved it, bullying is awful. But um, you shouldn't fucking hit someone with a racket. Don't, don't hit, I love, I love Maki's delivery, but you can't hit people with your racket. Those things aren't um, cheap, you know. Cheap, you know. <laughs> Uh, and there's so many little things about how, like, Itsuki doesn't change with the rest of the team because Maki's there, and <laughs> he doesn't want Maki oh, to know about man. his back. So, um, but Derek does such a, a good job at this, and it's hard to go expand on what makes Derek's performance so good when you guys have all kind of said it for me. Uh, that being said, uh, just please, Derek Snow is really good. Put him in more things. Um, but boy, howdy, let's talk about Megan's... Megan's favorite Megan's character. Son. Megan's boy. Um, which, if you don't know, the first time I ever talked about Garrett Storms on the show, I fucking hated him. Um, my have, my for have any times of you, have changed. For any of 
for any of you who remember, uh, which as of this, like, October or November is about five years ago, uh, I did not like Garrett Storms as an actor at all. Oh, God, um, it would have been fi- It will be five years for Dance Devils. Shit. It will be five years this year. That was one of our early oh, episodes. Man. That was that was the episode that established that we have a limit count on how many people in <laughs> <want> an episode. <laughs> never again. It also determined that Megan should never record on... Megan should never record on pain. Oh, yeah, again. you just had your wisdom teeth pulled. <laughs> yeah, so anybody who doesn't know this about the Dance with Devils episode, uh, I had my wisdom teeth pulled two days before we It was also around that. her birthday. <laughs> uh, I got my wisdom teeth pulled out on my 25th birthday. <laughs> Please tell me um, you still have that picture no, my, somewhere that your mom took. It is, uh, if I can find it, you can put Fuck it in the yeah. episode. It was great. Um, for those of you who don't know, the way that they... I had to put ice on my face because I had both of my wisdom teeth removed. Uh, my mom's way of doing this was taking a knee brace that was one side was an ice pack and the rest went around your knee, slapping the ice pack to one cheek, wrapping it around my head, and sticking another ice pack on the other side. I fucking love your mom. And then because it... And then because it was my birthday, she put a happy birthday tea on took a me. picture. So here I am bundled into this bed into my bed glaring at her as she takes a picture of me and I eventually just get my arms out and flick her off it was so good I remember her showing me that picture I'd also like to point out that this is my adopted mother that I did this to um but I I originally did not like Garrett Storms very much uh, to say that my opinion of him has changed in five years is an understatement because Garrett Storms is my most underrated voice actor of animation. I absolutely love him. I may or may not be biased that Garrett Storms also plays my favorite character in any anime of all time. But, that being said, I like the way that he plays Rintaro as a little high because I don't know if Rintaro's balls have dropped. But he also plays him with this earnest, this earnest attitude. And... Rintaro is always trying to be positive, even when it hurts. And just the, where he tells Maki that his parents adopted him and that he doesn't deserve them. And Maki's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I've seen so many people online write articles. It's like, oh, Rintaro, you shouldn't believe that. The patriarchy is a myth, yada, yada, yada. And I want to say this as somebody who's gone through those feelings as well. I did, around that age, go through very similar feelings where I felt like I had to do everything better because I was adopted and I didn't want to let my parents down. Um, I have met one of my biological parents. Side note, I fucking hate her. Um, I do not like my biological mom at all. She's a bad person. Um, that can be left in. I'm okay with saying that. Um... I went through those feelings of guilt and that I had to work harder because I didn't want to let them down. And I do think that there is that that kind of like wistful I I don't even know if wistful is the right word. There's this sense that you know that Rintaro knows he's doing his best but in his mind doing his best is never good enough. And it's why when he plays at the tournament it absolutely kills me that they told him right before it that his mom wanted to contact him because it stressed him out so much he was stiff. So when when Itsuki's helping him off the court in that and that's I think episode ten or eleven, and you can hear it in his voice and the way that Rintaro Garrett's delivery of that's my mom 
and you kind of just like want to start crying for him because it's like she may love him and and it is a-okay that if she has a bond with him that is something that i also really liked about sarn's omni that um Kazuki was adopted and he has this moment with his mom but they both mutually agree to like not keep it up but I would have liked to see where that goes in the show and I think Garrett did a really great job and before I start making myself cry I'm gonna stop um all right so before we move on to our final player pair we have to go over the the Shinsho Minami support staff they are the team manager Yu to Asuka and I don't even know if I could call her like a fan of the team. She's just kind she of She wants there. to see them she fail sometimes, but in actuality fails. she wants them to succeed. She both loves that she is she's literally She's literally Helga. <laughs> I hate you, but I love you. <laughs> she is She's fucking Helga. Um Shut up, football head. Shut up Shut up, tennis head. Shut up, Maki. Uh Shut up, Maki. That, to, to give her credit, uh, she puts up with a lot of shit, too. This is true. Yeah. Meets, yeah. They are Yuta Asuka and Kaneko Mitsue. Uh, Kaneko is a kind of grumpy girl who likes to draw and draws kind of uh, fetishistic art online, but eventually she starts actually wanting to do art itself, and her muse becomes Toma and Maki and the rest of the tennis team. Yuta Asuka, they are, and I say they... A, a, a another member of Maki in Toma's class who gets picked on for being gay. Uh, and yes, straight canon gay. However, we end up eventually learning that Yu doesn't see themselves as male or female, but they don't necessarily identify as being non-binary. They just aren't male or female and they haven't found the right label to them yet. They use non-binary as one just because it's it's easier to explain. Uh, and they ask to be called you by Maki uh, after Maki tells uh, them that a good friend of their mom, Sho, who is played by Kyle Phillips, is, a, uh, is transgender. They were born female but identify mm -hmm. as male. Uh, playing you, Asuka, is Brandon McGinnis. Playing Kaneko Mitsue is Rachel Glass. Brandon McGinnis, you'll know his characters such as Koteo in 91 Days, uh, Sonosuke Izayoi in Danganronpa 3 Despair and Future Arc, and Yuta Hibiki in SSSS Gridman. Rachel Glass, you'll know his characters as Hoko Hoshimiya in Clockwork Planet, Elma in Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid, and Miyabi Ito in Yamada and the Seven Witches. Uh, so while I'm fond of, you know, just about all the kids of the cast, uh, Yuta was probably the one I was most endeared to right away. Uh, even with how much queer rep in anime we've gotten, um, has gotten more spotlight over the last few years, you know, you still have that vocal contingent of folks who, uh, firmly believe the path of the care about SAW nonsense or whatever. Uh, so I appreciate that, uh, right off the bat, the show, uh, pretty much immediately tells us which, uh, team Yuta's batting for, and that, you know, they're free to like whoever they want, which is... Uh, definitely really refreshing. And uh, it's also nice that the show not only commits to that alone, but just also takes the time to explore Yuta's feelings on their gender and, you know, um, it's a, and that what they identify as is something that's going to take time, you know, much like any other part of growing up. Uh, it's one of the more nuanced conversations I've seen on that subject in an anime, and it's definitely great to see stuff like that getting tapped more openly now, so... Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I sort of left by saying all this because, you know, handling all that delicate subject matter meant that Brandon McKinnis had, uh, he definitely had a lot of his plate with this performance, and while it could have been very easy to stumble somewhere with this, I felt like he handled all of it really well, and uh, he made Utah come off as very warm and friendly while, you know, still showing plenty of vulnerability when it came to Utah's struggles with their identity. And I thought that Brandon's delivery uh, when Utah came out to mock, it was probably the highlight of his performance, uh, which is simply great because it's more or less the one thing he really needed to get right. I also thought that Brandon handled himself really well during uh, Utah's whole confrontation with their mother, and while it kind of sucked, we don't know how that arc would end up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it felt raw enough that it so kind of captured my attention, and it felt appropriately shocking. Uh, moving on to Rachel Glass's Conoco. Uh, I gotta say that out of all the performances in this cast, uh, all the performances in this cast, my bad, uh, this is the one I kind of had the most problems with. Uh, Kanika was probably one of my favorite characters in the ensemble, since I really like her whole preteen gremlin personality and how snarky and cynical she tries to be about everyone. Uh, unfortunately, I don't feel like Rachel Glass's performance really got that, because a lot of the time she just kind of came up as sounding really flat and stilted to me. And there were some instances where he felt like it kind of clicked since uh, Kanako sounded that way. does kind of help to sell the idea that maybe she's just pretending to be more jaded than she actually is. And there definitely are a couple of moments where she gets off some snark. Uh, but the problem is that her delivery kind of carries that same dry, uh, flat tone across basically every scene she's in. Even the ones where Kanako was clearly supposed to be emoting. And while it never, like, outright took me out of the dub, it definitely did sound awkward compared to how energized everyone else sounded. Uh, I'll admit I'm not, like, super familiar with Rachel Glass in general, since while I've heard her and other things, it usually wasn't anything where she had a whole lot of spotlight. Uh, so this is, so this was kind of my first serious impression of her as an actress, I'm gonna be honest and say I wasn't too impressed with her. Uh, hopefully she'll floor me and something else, but as far as this show is concerned, I kind of found her to be the weakest performance. I don't want to argue with you about this. Like, I don't want to come off as um, like the per- like the person who says like, "No, you're totally wrong about this." Because I, I was actually quite endured by uh, Kaneko's um, the-, the way that she she was supposed to embody the uh, going through a phase of not quite knowing if she can make a career out of what she's passionate about, and also kind of shifting her focus on art. Because we, we see from the comments that she's getting through a lot of her fans quote-unquote on the internet that uh her shifting to draw the boys playing tennis is way different from what she's normally known for and that makes a lot of people mad which is very realistic to the internet and i i do think that rachel's handling of it was it didn't sound flat to me it sounded stuck in between multiple emotions now i can see why you would find that to be flat uh, from the delivery of it because it, it, you're right it's not as uh flamboyant or as uh, nuanced as some of the other uh, some of the other characters but I, I do like that it's yet another uh, flavor in this rainbow of of teen emotions that we get in it so I, I'm gonna I would go to bat for Rachel's performance on this one uh, she just has a lot of a uh, lot of good qualities that make that help uh, shake up the dynamic plus she has a shave poster in the background of her room like that's gotta count for something yeah I mean, I guess it doesn't help that, like, I watched the entire show in Japanese before going back to watch the dub, so, uh, but I, so uh, my mind was kind of leaning a little bit more towards what the Seiyu did, which I guess this sounded a little bit more of what I expected with that personality type, where it sounds 
Yeah, it's, and you know where it sounds kind of growly and like gremlin like. So that's hey. kind of yeah. So I guess that's kind of what I expected this to sound like. Yeah, I don't know. Like I'm trying to think. Like what kind of uh, English performance in the past that we've heard would sound similar to that? Uh, I don't know. I was I don't know. I was thinking like. Um, uh, like a lot of characters off of you plays or something like that, but I don't know. Yeah, that's who I would have gone for. Mm. Okay, so this so it was a little different from what most people expected, but I, I liked it. I, I dug Rachel's uh, handling of it. Um, it's again, I can see how maybe you would have preferred it one way or the other, but uh, for a character who's, uh, I think a lot of people would uh, diss her as a character just because of uh, the fact that you know she's so obviously into the boys' team. Maybe not even, like, uh, to date any of them. She's just, like, very passionate about what they're doing and trying to turn around their reputation as a, a D-list sports team. It was just uh, interesting to watch. Um, now, speaking of watching, I can't talk about a Brendan McGinnis role without crying because uh, last week, actually, no, it was just yesterday, came the dubbed episode of episode 77 of My Hero Academia. God damn it! <laughs> And now I made that all hurt. cry. That hurt so bad. I, I read the manga, but it still freaking hurt. It, it was hard to watch, wasn't things, it? Things hurt when you hear audio and visuals. Mm-hmm. And I, I can only imagine how hard that was for Brandon, too. But uh, Oh, he uh, opened up on Twitter that he cried his eyes out. A good on you, Brandon, for putting your heart and soul into that. And also for putting your heart and soul into this, because Utah's... A kind of character that I didn't quite know why he existed uh, when he was introduced into the show. Because if he wasn't going to be, um, he wasn't going to be playing the sport, and may- maybe I just don't know what managers do on sports teams. Like I don't, I didn't know why they needed a student manager. I guess like I assumed that the faculty would take care of uh, everything that was needed. Well, Conico's not going to fucking do <laughs> it. I, obviously, we know that. <laughs> It just seems very like, yeah, we, we need to get a we need to get a middle schooler to do the job that you, a grown human adult, is not going to do. But then we find out more about Utah, and we find out that yes, this is um, the closest we're going to get to a wandering sun dub, in the sense of someone who's struggling, not struggling, sorry, that's not the right word, um, coming to terms with their uh, with their both their gender identity and their sexuality in a way that uh, can feel, it feels a little um, after school specially, like, and now on a very special episode of Stars Align, Utah discusses his, uh, he likes to wear dresses and he's got a crush on a boy and, oh, his mom does not approve of this. Luckily though, uh, Brandon's got like this very soft-spoken warmth to him that does not convey weakness or meekness in any way, but it, and it does carry the kind of, uh, I, I'm a reliable member of the team in a way that uh, one of the players themselves could not be. Um, and it, it's just a shame that the show got cut short because we don't really get much more of his development. That, Like you were saying, we don't really see the fallout from his conversation with his mom, who's very flat out like, why are you doing this? You're a boy. I've got two girls already. Can't you give me my one son? Um, so what for, for the brief snippets of that we get... And for the continuing of uh, managing the team, and it kind of acting as a let me explain the rules of soft tennis as we go along. Uh, good job on Brandon. I'm gonna go in this corner and cry now. <sighs> Noah, do me a solid. Can you make room in that corner for me too? Because I'm gonna join you in a couple minutes. Because <laughs> god damn it, the fact that you brought up you not the fact that you brought up Sir Nighteye. God. Yeah. <laughs> 
Look, he would it, would it make you feel? Would it help alleviate any more if I threw in a parody song called "That's So Night Eye"? No, no. <laughs> like, he, okay. Peggy's gonna try to get him. He, to sing here's that. the thing. So, Andrew and I went out for breakfast yesterday morning, and then afterwards I went back to his place, and he was just like, "Do you want to watch the new My Hero?" Because I was waiting to watch it with you. I'm like, I guess, but this is gonna hurt. So we watched it together, and it fucking hurt. We were both messes by the end of it. Just like, ugh. Props to Brandon and Rico Fajardo for that episode by the way figure i've got to have stuff this on recording which one hurt more the last episode of my hero that you watched or the last episode of what legend of the galactic heroes the new Atessa? god why can't we have both okay here's what i'm gonna say because I legit, because also, I also also please watch Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Please, please watch Legend <laughs> um, of the Galactic Heroes. Because I cried like a sorry sap little sappy little bitch. I'm gonna say my hero, Legend of Galactic Heroes. I didn't cry. I was just very angry at the world. <laughs> my my boy got done done dirty here. All right, my favorite character got done dirty. All right, and it makes me mad. Um, anyways, so. I'm gonna actually start with Brandon on this one, cause Utah is Utah as a character. They are so gentle and kind and very sweet, and they they don't like violence either. Like it's made very clear early on when um Utah gets bullied by these kids and Toma stops them, and Toma just talks to him like like I would imagine a good smack to the face would solve it. He's like, I really don't like violence. Violence just does not solve anything. And Thomas just like, you know you're too good for your... You, you, you know you're too nice for your own good, right? And Yuta's like, eh. <laughs> like, Yuta is a very sweet and endearing character. Very, very soft-spoken. Um, doesn't have a ton of confidence at first, but he kind of starts developing and beco- coming into his own a little bit here and there. And then you get... The then you get to get scene where Yuta's talking to Maki and um, they're telling him that I don't know who I am. I've never seen myself as a boy. I'm not sure if I'm a girl. I don't. I think I'm non-binary, but I don't know if I should label myself as that. And that conversation for Yuta and Maki, I think, is a very, very. It's very interesting that it's put... It's a very interesting and mature st- conversation to put into a show with middle schoolers playing soft tennis. And I think Brandon and Maki's actor, who we'll get to shortly, um, that was done absolutely well. Um, that conversation is like a legit serious conversation where it's like, you don't have to decide who you are now. Like, you have the time. You have the time to figure out who you are, but what's important is figuring out on your own time and not rushing into it and knowing exactly who you are and what's going to make you happy. Um, and I think it's a very well thought out and very mature conversation for a show like this. There's a lot of mature conversations that go on this. And Brendan, Brandon in general is just so endearing and so kind. And it's just, <sighs> Utah is a sweet cinnamon roll. Too good and pure for this earth. 
even more so than some of the other characters we call sweet cinnamon rolls that are too good and pure for this world. If anything, Yuta is the most pure cinnamon roll too good and pure for this earth. Like, bar none. Um... And I love speaking of Pearson rolls. <laughs> and um, Brendan's re- portrayal of Utah is, I think, phenomenal. And I, I am very, I, I like the rest of you. I'm very curious as to the fallout with Utah's conversation with um, their mom at the end of what was it, episode eight? Episode eight, yes. yeah. Because that just cuts off, and we never get any acknowledgement of it again. Um, I'm gonna guess that if there was more to the show, we would have more to it. But of course, thank you, production committee. Um, as for Rachel Glass as um, Conoco, uh, I'm not that familiar with Rachel Glass. That's the problem. Um, I feel like I know her from something. I just can't think of it, though. Didn't you? You were on the Clockwork Planet. There episode, was no right? Clockwork Planet episode. Oh, right. That was that Silver was Silver Guardian. Guardian. <laughs> Whoopsie! Good, good job. I'm uh, going to look up A&N real quick because I need to remember. I feel like I should. I was doing oh, it for you. Oh, okay. She's Silver Lady and Ancient Magus Bride. Okay, to be fair, doesn't Silver say Lady anything. doesn't fucking talk. Um, but I'm slowly remembering. Uh... Elma and Dragon Maid. Didn't watch Dragon uh, Maid. apparently Torrania uh, and Overlord Queen. <laughs> she was in King's Game for an episode uh oh she's bakugo's mom that's oh. why <laughs> she's bakugo's milk oh, okay <laughs> okay now that's a good mom <laughs> that's a no she's not no, no not in the term good i mean like i'm putting quotation marks around the word good okay i i i mean even though she doesn't talk i recognize her magus bride and of course there's <laughs> Fucking Bakugo's mom. Um, Hell yeah. And a lot of. By the by, one year apparently she was walking around A Fest dressed as Bakugo's mom. Oh my god, that's amazing, and I love her now. (laughs) Um, Let me see. She did an episode. And we missed it, and I'm pissed. King's Game. She. Oh, she's Babby Nobukatsu from Kochiki. Oh, she, oh shit! She yep. is Babby Okay. Um. <laughs> oh, she crossed up into Stephen Fu. Did... Oh, she's Babby Naruse as well in Orange. And she does have a role in Overlord, but I can't remember which freaking character this is. I just said who she in was. In Overlord. <laughs> yes. She's a tar. Uh, tar- I don't know. Tar- I don't remember Lina specifically Varian. what this character is. Is the problem. I'm just gonna Google it for you. Um. And I haven't watched some of the other stuff where she has an actual major role. Um. Okay. So I have a little bit more familiarity. Okay. I kind of remember now. Like I like I've heard the name. I just haven't heard a lot of her work. Is the problem here? So it's very difficult for me to really discuss and judge the performance because, for all intents and purposes, like this is an unknown actress to me. Because Silver Lady, again, like Megan was saying, doesn't talk. <laughs> she just kind of makes little reaction noises, and that's about it. Um, so, it's hard. This one's a hard one to judge. Because I can see both sides. I can see Jet's side of this. I can also see Noah's side of this. I... 
I th- did, did did you like it? By the end I did. It was a little bit hard to get used to starting out. Um cuz Kanako Kanako is a bit snarky and sassy. She could be a straight up savage. A she could be a straight up savage sometimes. It's actually kind of great. Um Did you see how she acted to those girls at the school when they went spying? She, she was a flat out savage. She called them, I think she I think she called one of them a fucking a cow. cow. She called one a grandma. She's <laughs> like she's all yours, grandma. I love uh, that about her. He's all yours, grandma. Um can't hate that. Like the tone of voice used for Kaneko is a very interesting approach because of the personality and what Kaneko's interests are. Because she's interested in art. She's a bit nerdy, but not overly nerdy that it's like, oh, like, oh my god, I love this character and this is this is my favorite. Anime. It's not to that extent. Mm-hmm. But, like, she's also very quiet. She can be around a lot of other people in her life she's very quiet and meek a very poignant moment that is mentioned is during the barbecue when and it's yuta who points this out it's like i didn't know you could eat that much she's like yeah what of it is like well normally at lunch you don't really talk or eat a lot like so she's a bit of a loner she's very quiet kind of very misunderstood so it's interesting with the tone of voice and direction that they went in uh, with Rachel, but I also can appreciate that because she does get bullied pretty often mm-hmm. um, by the other girls in the school, and, and even oh, yeah. and even girls in a completely different school because <laughs> like she yeah. took legit she took one for the team <laughs> and she became a distraction. <laughs> I mean, the, the assumption of those girls was that, like, oh, are you another one of, what was it, OG's fam girls? I, I forget what the, the guy's no, name is. No, uh, Joy. Joy's, Joy. Yeah, yeah, thank you, you're right. Joy's fan girls. Yeah. It's like, we got enough. And I think, to an extent, based on the personality and who she, she, because she frequently hangs out with the boys, she can come off a little bit as tomboyish to me. Which I think works, because um, yeah. she's, a, she, like, she she's, has bad relationships and interact- interactions with other girls her age. But she gets along a hell of a lot better with a bunch of boys. Um, I can relate to this. When I was in school, I had more guy friends than I did girlfriends. Um, and yet I wasn't a, tom- a straight tomboy. I was still a girl. Um, it's the same thing can be said about Kaneko here. Um, but... And her character's also very interesting because she, like, it was brought up. She she used to draw, like, fetishy kind of stuff. Like, it, early on, she's just like, these people are still into, like, high school girls with knee socks? Like, what is... Hell yeah, I'm into anime girls with knee socks. Like, what the hell? <laughs> like, these guys are pathetic. But then she wants to legit, because she's seeing the boys work so hard, she wants to work hard for herself and achieve something that she really enjoys. So... Her character arc, because she's, I see her as essentially one, another lead character in this show. Um, Not just because of the amount of screen time she gets, but she has a, like, a huge overarching story, too. Um, So, given the personality, given some of the story elements that we get into Kaneko, while the performance took a little bit of adjusting 
on my first watch, because I rewatched the whole thing today, and I think, like, my second rewatch, I enjoyed it a lot more. Um, while it took, a, it was rough in the beginning to try and place it and try and transition it into something that works, going back and then understanding Kaneko's personality, understanding what her, um, what her story is and her social interactions and everything like that, completely understanding that and going back to the show again. I think Rachel Glass actually does really well with the role. Um, it's not a perfect performance. It's I think it's still one of the weaker performances of the entire show. But all things considered, with the dub itself being solid in general, that's also not a huge detriment. It's not like it's an absolute terrible performance. Um, it's just considering some of the other performances in the show, um, those stand out a lot more than what Rachel did. But I still do appreciate, because I can relate to her. I, again, I was kind of like the tomboy hanging out with the boys when I was a kid. So I can relate to this. And so I, I, I understand the perspective and going from these different moments. So I, I do enjoy that a lot. I'll start with Kanako because we were going from Kanako, I'll go to Kanako. And I also agree that she's probably one of the weakest performances of the show. I don't think she's bad. She's just not as strong as everybody else. I think that Rachel Glass is doing... Uh, a really a, a great job but I just don't know how much it worked for me sometimes it feels like Kaneko is a little too soft spoken yeah. and a little too like kind of detached though when she has her excitable moments I think it does work like when uh, they actually start playing Joy and she's like oh fuck those girls are here <laughs> it's like they can't know I'm here Shut up and hide me, Shingo. No, it was, it was Yuta. She it was literally Yuta. like, shut up and hide me, Yuta. I mean, you. Shut up and hide. Let me hide behind you, you. <laughs> but there are also times, like, when she calls people, like, a, ha a hag and cow, it, like, feels like she's, like, a little flat, and I don't necessarily believe she's be she's actually right. delicious. And she's kind of, like, a little too mumbly at points. But overall, I think it was a suitable performance of the show. Um... Brandon is Utah. Oh my heart. Um, <laughs> this poor, this poor baby. They, they, this baby. My, this. The episode about you and the ending to that. I have very good friends of mine who watch the show who are uh, trans. Who that episode hurt them. In um, a good way. I don't want to. Uh, the episode made them happy, but that part was really yeah. real for them. Mm -hmm. I can imagine. And no, I know you you were like Brendan had to do the very after school special. Here's the thing. If the show didn't treat it in the most after school special way of all time, I don't think pe people would have argued they, that it's just subtext. The, yeah, after um Zombieland Saga, we we people will continue to argue that the translations aren't accurate. So, yes, you're right. Yeah, like literally literally in they had to go full eat ski to that bully for mm -hmm. this. Because there would be, there were, there were people when uh, episode two came out were arguing that oh the translation's bad, use not, they're not saying use gay, and and props to the dub where they actually doubled down on it. Yeah. <laughs> they they doubled down compared to the subs. Like they they straight up doubled down on it. So props to Jared for that. Um. But like this, Brandon handles this so well, and. And Brandon himself is not straight. Mm -hmm. So, so, 
this does this probably for him was something that was very close to, to his heart and the way that they portray you yuta is is honestly the tone of voice is very similar to the other yuta that he plays what what you... it's very similar to the grid man oh yuta i was like wait what's the other yuta again <laughs> all right grid man which which is going to be in my house soon um is it sss grid man or is it grid man sss shut up and watch it um watch it for the dan baby dan baby um so i think brandon handles this beautifully it's one of the best performances in the show and just the, the emotionality and the tenderness it's just all around some good fucking shit um so speaking of the good shit our final two characters of the evening are our lead characters our main pair we have Toma Shinjo and Maki Katsuragi. Toma Shinjo is the captain of the the Minami, uh, this of the soft tennis team, and he's the only one who takes it seriously. And his situation is kind of fucked. Uh, um, yes. Toma's brother, Toma's brother likes him, and he's trying to, but he's also in the shadow of his brother's legacy. Toma's mom fucking hates she him. She says as much. It. Thomas' mom, I think, delivers one of the most brutal moments of the show, which is he's trying to open up and be happy about how he did at the tournament. And she goes, "You know, I can be, uh, I can be uh, free with my feelings too. I hate you, Toma. I'm getting a divorce. I'm taking your brother with me. Bye." It's not yeah. That perky. But but it- it's not that perky. But it's pretty fucking perky. Um. Uh. And then Maki Katsuragi is kind of our main character. Maki is a boy who's moved around a lot with a single mother, uh, Aya, who uh, you find out does this because his dad is horribly abusive, has been beating him since childhood. Uh, his real dad is actually show fuck you, fight me. Yeah, let, let's be um, straight up here that, that Kanji, the guy who's sh- biological dad, does not qualify for the term dad. He's a sperm donor, that's yeah. it. Mm. Um and Maki also uh, helps to end the show off in the darkest possible fashion by buying a knife and going to stab his dad. And then it cuts at the door. Um, playing Toma Shinjo, it's like... <laughs> playing Toma Shinjo is Josh Gurley. Playing Maki Katsuragi is Justin Briner. Josh Gurley you'll know his characters such as Kanata Hoshijima and Ostra Lost in Space. Yuri Kotsky in Yuri on Ice and Cartophilus in The Ancient Magus Bride. His mother is played by Christy Sutton and his brother is played by Christopher Wakecamp, his brother Ryoma. Uh, Maki, Katsuragi, uh, Maki Katsuragi, Justin Briner is uh, Frate Venetti in uh, 91 Days, Natsuno Yoichi in Drifters, and Nova in Space Patrol Luluko. His mother Aya is played by uh, Michaela Krantz and his father uh, Kanji is played by Brendan Potter. Okay, uh, starting with Josh Grail as Toma. Uh, Josh Grail can basically do no rock at this point, and uh, right away he does a really great job of making Toma, you know, sound a little more authoritative and mature compared to the rest of the boys. And uh, you kind of get an immediate sense of why this group of slackers at least kind of listen to him, even if they do suck. And, uh, but of course, like the rest of these boys, Toma has a lot going on, and while he, you know, might try to be level-headed around his teammates, he can also be... Uh, pretty quick to fly off the handle and get aggressive, and Doss does a really great job of making uh, those angry outbursts feel natural, while, you know, so making Toma feel sympathetic, since, uh, well, he's angry at himself, but a lot of the time he can still get angry for other people occasionally. 
Uh, one of the best examples of that definitely be when he and Maki confront Maki's and meet dad, and Toma threatens to kill him if he puts his hands on Maki again. And uh, you can definitely tell he means it, and Joss's delivery makes it feel uh, equally right equally righteous and deeply concerning at the same time. And uh, while we don't know why exactly, it becomes uh, clear as the show goes on that Toma doesn't have a very high opinion of himself, and uh, his relationship with his mother definitely seems to reflect on Definitely seems to reflect that. Uh, my personal theory, based on the last episode, is that, uh, I don't know, maybe his dad had an affair and his mom resents him for that because it's a constant reminder of it, but we'll never know because, again, we only have half a show. Uh, but either way, I thought Josh was uh, definitely just as effective in getting across Bowman, uh, Thomas moments of self-doubt. And uh, that bit the last episode where he just generally wanted his mother's approval, only for her to just outright shut him down really broke my heart. And uh, it was a really good performance for however much of the character we got, and I thought Joss did a great job. Uh, moving on to uh, Justin Bryder, while in some ways casting Justin Bryder here was a bit of a safe choice, and there's nothing too wrong with a safe choice every now and then, so long as it, you know, actually manages to deliver, and this one definitely delivers. Uh, right away, he does a really great job of getting across Pocky's personality as he switches between being saucy and uh, to the point about how he feels, while, you know, Alton is being a very empathetic kid who looks out for his friends, uh, with both aspects of the character kind of being very interchangeable. Uh, one of the best examples of this is probably when he's first asked by Toby to join the tennis club, and uh, he only agrees under the condition he's being paid for it. Uh, you're kind of meant to be under the impression that he's being sincere in the moment, but there's also kind of the implication that both his uh, deep respect for Ryoma and kind of seeing Toba's desperation in that moment kind of helped to influence the decision a little bit. And uh, Justin's, performance, Justin's performance definitely got across the notes of that moment very well. And uh, just in general, I thought a lot of his interactions with the other club members were pretty fun, whether, you know, it's him commenting on how bad they are because he thinks they're capable of doing better, or, you know, him just being very open-minded and supportive of you. Uh, and we get to see a lot of different aspects of Maki as a character, and I thought Justin handled them all really well, to the point where Maki kind of goes from, you know, being the very snarky new guy to uh, kind of being the team mom, and I thought that was a really nice transition. And, uh, but of course, having said all that, Maki definitely has one of the worst family situations out of all the kids, and his terrible, terrible father is just really awful. And as confident as Justin plays Maki a lot of the time, uh, the moments where Maki kind of touches up in fear of all the memories of his father's abuse feel just as genuine, and just definitely handled that shift really believably. And I honestly got a lot of those. I honestly got a lot more of those moments listening to him in the dub than I did listening to Natsuki Hide's performance, and that's definitely saying a lot. Uh, it, I mean, of course, it's also kind of hard to you know talk about Maki's character without breaking up that whole knife scene towards the end of the show. <laughs> And, uh, okay, and while it would have been very easy to destroy the show, the tone of the entire show, by making the moment where Maki decides it's going to kill his dad feel very, you know, melodramatic and over the top, uh, but just as delivery feels just raw enough in the anger he feels at that moment that it feels pretty believable, even if it is a very terrible decision. And uh, while I really, really would like to know how that whole bit ends, I thought that in the meantime, Justin did a very fantastic job, and he was definitely the big set of the whole time, so good job. To piggyback off of that, um, 
both these characters are performed very well. I can't really add anything extra to that because at this at this point, if you're watching the show and you don't like the two main characters, you're probably not going to like the show overall. If you don't enjoy watching Josh and Justin uh, decide strategy on the court to defeat different kinds of enemies and decide, okay, let's uh, let's aim for the weak point to put Joy out of commission or uh, let's just run up and down the field to take these twins out. And if you don't enjoy that camaraderie, uh, I'm not sure what more of the show you could really enjoy because that's a good chunk of the show. Um, but to give full credit on the fact that the full cast does not really get better as the show goes along because they all started out really strong, which is a testament to a simulcast because most dubs kind of start out a little bit shaky as the actors learn more about their character or what kind of archetypes they're playing. Uh, in my opinion, everyone started out at like a 9 and ended at like a 9.5, if that was even possible. Uh, Josh, in particular, has got this vibrato in his voice that uh, does convey a leader personality underneath the surface, but it's masked by this insecurity of not being as good as his brother, and also the issues with his mom. And so, throughout the entire show, Josh kind of like builds and builds more confidence throughout the whole thing. Kind of after his uh, his walkout in episode three, once he comes back, he is the leader that the team finally deserves. And Justin's, uh, yeah, I kind of also sometimes wonder like how many times I'm going to hear Justin and not be able to hear Deku. Like, I, I think I had that problem a bit in Sorry's On My, but in this show, it didn't really stand out as much because probably because this is a very different kind of character for him. He doesn't get... Uh, he doesn't cry uh, quite as much as Deku. He's not uh, trying to be funny. Like, it's not a comedic kind of over-the-top voice. It's just very serious. Like, he's got these issues that he's trying to congeal because he wants to mature into a fully functioning adult, which is tragic because middle schoolers should not be trying to be adults. And in scenes where he has to be scared because, you know, Kanji is, you know, threatening to hurt him, then he sounds scared. When he sounds confident, he sounds confident. When he sounds worried because he, his racket got smashed and he has to ask for a new one, he carries that across very well. It's a very human kind of voice that really does carry the entire show from beginning to end. And I can't really think of ways that these two could have improved on their performances because they are just so fun to listen to. So good job, both of you. Ah, uh, hmm. I, I'm going to start with um, Toma as well. And because I actually don't have a ton of notes for Josh's performance as Toma. Because there are a, quite a few characters that are similar to Toma that Josh has voiced before. Um, Kanata from Astra to an extent, even though Kanata is a bit more of a goofball idiot. But like... The whole leadership aspect and it is one of the main pieces of that that I think comes across very, very well. But Toma is also very, very much a troubled child, too, because he's put under he, he's put under the same expectations as his brother Ryoma, and his mom doesn't acknowledge him. His mom just thinks he's, oh, that child. Like, legit, she calls him that child. Doesn't call him by name at points. And it's very heartbreaking to see that. 
that all Toma wants is just some amount of acknowledgement from his mom. And he, and to an extent, he gets, like, jealous of Ryoma's relate. I, it seems like he gets jealous of Ryoma and the relationship that he has with their mom. Like, to an extent. Because um, Toma does have some some animosity towards his own brother because of what happens. But, um, and the end, the last episode definitely pulls that through too. When Toma's on the phone with his mom and he's actually like talking to her and this is the happiest that he's happiest and sweetest that he's ever interacted with his mother in the entire show. Only for it to come crashing down because his mom just hates him for some reason um and it's really heartbreaking to see that and like josh is very good as a dramatic actor like bar none he's proved that several several times um and this and toma shinjo is no exception to this um and i just think he does fantastic with it oh oh maki 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 he deserved a better show. Maki deserves a way better show. <laughs> oh, God. J- he should have been in Food Wars. <laughs> shut. You shut He's your fucking Noah, mouth. Unfortunately, he, a compliment. Unfortunately, here's the thing. Noah's not... Food Wars goes to shit. I'm not, okay, I know that. Okay, he deserved to be in season one of Food Wars. I say, Noah's not wrong that he should be in Food Wars, though, because fucking Maki takes care oh. of everything. Oh, because Maki Yeah. Because oh, Maki can feed you. Maki can feed you and take care of you, all right? Um, Maki in and of himself is an interesting character because he has to... He basically has to grow up and be mature. Um... Like, he has all these responsibilities because he's helping support his mom, who's working, like, who's working obscene amount of hours just to put food on the table for the two of them. So Maki helps pick up the slack with, like, the cleaning and the cooking and everything. So he, he, you would think, you would think that he has a very mature outlook on life. Maki is very snarky as shit. (laughs) And... Whenever I get to hear Justin Briner be a snarky little jagoff on occasion, it just makes me very happy. Because, <laughs> um, because we are used to the Dekus. We are used to the freaking nice peppy boys. And then you have, you have Maki. And you have freaking, oh, what's his character in Black Clover? Who's, who's... Luck, thank Luck. you. And then you have Luck, who's just so hyper and just so menacing at the same time. Like, Maki as a character is probably the most complex, or at least one of the most complex of them all, only because of his tra- of his trauma and the abuse he gets from his dad. To which, by the way, I'm going to bring this back up again when I said this about Caitlyn, and I'm going to say this, preface this again. And this is a very high compliment, all right? Brendan Potter, I hate you. I want to punch you into the fucking sun. <laughs> if I am able to hate your character that much, you done good, sir. Anyway, um, it's a very interesting turmoil that Maki goes through. And he's just so traumatized and he's terrified and scared. It. I'm gonna say this. The most tense part for me in the entire show 
was episode five. The interaction between Maki, Toma, and Maki's dad. Um, when Maki tells Toma what, what actually happened to the racket, tells him the whole situation, and Toma comes to Maki's defense against his dad. Like, that was so tense. And, like, it was very, very believable on all fronts. That, like... <sighs> Like, it was hard to look, it was, it was so difficult to look away, and you couldn't look away because of that. And just, oh, sweet lord. Like, while having Josh and Justin as the two leads for this show, you would normally think this is typecasting. It's really not. Like, there's a lot going on with these characters, and I think both of, both of, these actors just portrayed them very, very well. Especially, I'm giving credit to Justin Briner, though, because playing a character who is going through physical abuse, that in and of itself is a very difficult feat and very difficult to pull off very well and make it convincing. So I have to give credit to Justin for that. But, um, yeah, these two are definitely, I think, the strongest performances of the show. Man, it was... <laughs> It's really funny because this came out at the same time as a uh, Kabuki show where Josh and Justin are also two of the leads. Um, and I was like, yeah, Funimation doesn't use the same voice actors and everything. And I was like, <laughs> surprise. Um, surprise, bitch. Uh, so let me say this. That this is some of my favorite work from Justin and Josh and uh, like at all. I think that they both handle this masterfully. I don't think I could hear anybody else as Toma and Maki. Um, which is really weird because Maki's played by my favorite Seiyu. Or one of Whoops. my two favorite Seiyu. Um, I, I like both performances a lot. Uh, I'm a little bit more inclined to Justin. Uh, I Josh's righteous anger at points in this show are fucking terrifying. <laughs> um, like, I would... I, the part where he's like, I'm a minor. I'd get off easier for killing you. It's so great that he uh, uses the legal system in his favor. <laughs> Thank you for using the Japanese legal system in your favor, Maki, for Toma. Uh, and then just, like, some of the parts were, like, Toma is so socially awkward, and you can tell that he's, like, kind of emotionally stunted. Because Toma doesn't know how to make mm -hmm. friends. Toma doesn't know what to do. Toma's just like, well, guess I'll die. Um, and then, compared to how easygoing and kind of snarky Maki is... Like, Toma is the straight man oh, yeah. between them. Um, and I really like that. And it's hard to add on to what you guys have already said about Josh's Toma. Ma Justin's Maki is so good because I think it's a little bit deeper and more mellow on Justin's end. Definitely compared to what we're um, used to hearing him. Used to... Well, compared to what most people are used to hearing them, because you know who Maki's register reminds me of a little I bit? I swear to God, are you going to say Mika? Oh. <laughs> Shut up, Steph. You're not Shut wrong, up, though. Stephanie. That's the thing. Shut up, <laughs> Stephanie. You're not going to say Yuri, are you? No, it was Mika. God. She's talking about Mika. He, Yuri? He's not Yuri and Yuri on No, ice. no. I'm saying, you're asking what? what the register reminded you of. What were you going to well, say? I thought it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Josh's uh, Yuri from Yuri on Ice. No, she's talking about Justin. No, I was talking she's about She's talking Maki. about Justin, not Josh. Maki. No, I am talking about no, I, Maki. I, Never mind. I, Josh is Toma. I, 
I know that. I'm saying Justin's voice sounds a little like Yuri from Yuri on but she's Ice. talking about Justin, Noah. Shut up. I get it. I th- I, now I know what he means. Um, no, I, I, I gotta say that, but it is a little bit like Mika, and it is also a little bit like his character. I keep fucking bringing it back to Ensemble Stars. Uh, it does sound a little bit like his character in Ensemble Stars, who also has a fucking phenomenal scene with Derek Snow's character. Um, but, like... I, I like this, Justin, where, like, it also be just the, I'm going to end this. Oh, my God. At the very end. It, it's, it's really creepy. And the sounds that Justin has to make where he's flinching from, from his dad and fuck you, Brandon Potter. Uh, fuck your character. Not you. You were probably a nice guy. Uh, but, like, it, it's it's sad. And, and, and uh, most people know Justin for his over-the-top yelly characters. Your Lux, your Dekus, your Geenros. Um, this is such a, a, a nuanced and subtle performance, and there's a reason it was on the fan vote last year. It was probably Justin's best work of the year, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah. Uh, with that being said, it's time for our final thoughts. Jet, go ahead. Uh, so, I've been a fan of Kazuyakade's... I'm sorry. Uh, I've been a fan of Kazuki Akane's work ever since I checked out Nawaiin a few years ago and Escafote a couple of years ago. Uh, so I was really looking forward to this show. And uh, while again I was expecting something on a fantasy end going into this, since again his last couple of works were something like that. Uh, instead he decided to double down on the coming of age scenes that were in a lot of his other works and he instead made something that felt a lot more grounded and raw. Uh, this show definitely has a lot to say in regards to the ways parents can cheat their kids and accessories instead of growing people. And again, uh, even considering this came out in the same year as Astro Lost in Space, which had a very similar theme, uh, this show touches on those, touches on similar kinds of abuse in ways that feel a lot closer to home. Uh, but with all that in mind, I'm definitely glad that same level of energy mostly translated into the dub. And we got some really grounded and very hard-hitting performances out of it. Uh, it definitely wasn't a perfect production, but I really enjoyed it, and I felt like Jerry Jewell, Jared Green, and the rest of the staff, and all the actors did a really great job in translating the show into English. And it's definitely a job that is very much worth giving a fair shake. Glad it is. It's it's the kind of dub that um, really you can look at it, you listen to it, and you kind of roll around in your head like, how could you even how could you improve on this in any way? And I think the only way that some people would recommend improving would be uh, some of the voices maybe being less cartoonish and more grounded to like what people sound like in the real world but it's not that kind of show we don't have uh, we don't get the same emotional impact if this was like a reality show or uh, uh, like a a K-drama I really don't think so because a good chunk of the emotions out of this is coming from taking stuff that may seem over the top in how parents can treat their kids, how kids can react to that, how kids can treat each other, and realize this is rooted in real world around us. Maybe not all at once, like it's not as clean and presented to us as a show is, but there are elements of it that we can recognize. And in dubbing this, the the cast did a really good job on this. Um, It supersedes all expectations I had of it being just another sports anime, which sports animes are perfectly fine, uh, I just haven't really found any that are like my exact cup of tea. But when I see people who are like picking out their favorite 
volleyball characters or their favorite Kuroko's basketball characters. I get it in watching the show. I get the connection you have to this because these boys are just trying to do their best. They don't have any major victories in the show. They don't become champions in what we see. They don't even necessarily become better than any of the teams they're going up against. They're just doing the best that they can. And that's endearing to watch. So if you're going to, uh, if you're willing to subject yourself to this kind of emotions with the the caveat that some of it may make you feel a little bit uncomfortable because that disclaimer is there at the beginning for a reason, it will make you uncomfortable, definitely give this a watch. Even if getting by the end, you will not be happy for how it ended. <sighs> okay. Where do I don't even know where to go from all of this because Stars Align as a show, it is very, very, very complex. It is very, very heavy on character drama and all of this character drama and character trauma too because of so many different aspects and different pieces that we been touching upon this entire episode from child abuse to gender identity to postpartum depression to adoption to lord knows what else but like the show itself is great and i love it to pieces the dub is great and i love it to pieces it it takes the it takes the material and the different subject matter for these characters it takes it very seriously it doesn't overplay it it doesn't play it as a joke it keeps the show grounded in reality and i think that's a testament to the writing and the directing uh of the show itself keeping it as something very relatable to plenty of people like megan highly related to rintaro i relate to now to an extent like these characters go through different things and they are very relatable and they will touch like someone else and be like this is me this is what i'm going through um and it's i think the dub is strong in relaying those different messages and these different circumstances and it just conveys the story of this ragtag team of, of boys in middle school playing soft tennis. Um, it conveys it very well. So I'm just going to leave it with this. If you haven't watched Stars Align yet, even even though where, where the story is right, at, right now at the end of 12 episodes, not the greatest stopping point. I understand that. But if you haven't watched Stars Align yet, go watch Stars Align. Go watch Stars Align. Go watch Stars Align. You would be really dumb if you don't watch the show. Um, just go watch Stars Align. Just do it. Um, yeah, when this got picked up, I, I didn't know anything about it. I just knew it was about tennis. So I was like, I like sports anime. Sports anime are great. I love Haikyuu. I love Kuroko's basketball. I love Jiri. I love Jiri on ice. And this did the thing for me that I, I loved about Yuri on Ice, where, yes, it was about a sport, but that sport was also a vehicle to tell a very interpersonal drama story. Where in Yuri on Ice, it was the story of two men falling in love with each other. 
Stars Align is less a show about soft tennis and more a show about how child abuse in all of its forms destroys children. And it's hard to watch at times. It is genuinely very, mm-hmm. very disturbing. Um, it does not shy away, like Noah said, from showing postpartum depression, which is something I don't think I've ever actually seen in an anime. Like, I don't think I've ever actually seen an anime be like, yeah, straight text, this is postpartum depression. Or if they dealt with child abuse, it was it was in shonens that washed it away. Or um, it was just used as a way to show how characters became villainous. And in this show, it's not. And I think that the dub captures it as best it can. It is one of my favorite ensemble casts of the year. I'm never going to complain about a show that has Garrett Storms in it in a major major <laughs> part. Sorry. Not going to happen. It's the way to my heart. I, I, I love his acting in this. And by the way, um, please go to A&N and look at the picture. Um, yes. Okay. You will not regret it. Um, I think that a really big star of this is not only uh, Jerry Jewell's directing, but Jared Green absolutely knocked it out of the park. And had 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 this not come out the same year as Saren's Omni and, and Nietzsche show. Oh my god, so much shows. Which, 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 oh, oh, oh lordy. Uh, I love, I love Stars Align, but there's, there's something about having to adapt Ikuhara and the quote-unquote undoubtable show. So, Jared, with Jared was very close to this award, my best writing award. Um, I think that this is such a heart, a, it's, it's, I can't call it heartwarming, but what it is, is affirming. It, it's nice to see in a medium that fans tout as being, oh, we're more diverse than Western comics. Our fans are so much nicer when sometimes they're not. That a show went out of its way to affirm people who are, are gay, who are non-binary, who have been through abuse that you are someone worth your story being told about. And the show holds a very special place to my heart. And if you would like to watch Stars Align, you can watch it over at Funimation. Both sub and dub, both are completely available. If you would like to support this in any way, and I do mean this, please, please, please buy merch through official places. CD Japan, AmiAmi, Hobby HLJ, um... Anything you can do to support this to show the Japanese that Akane deserves to have. Don't be an asshole and pirate shit. Do not pirate the show. I will fucking find you. Or at the very, at the very least, like post on social media, letting people know that you watched it, enjoyed it. That in itself is better than nothing. Yeah, like please, 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 please. Um, I am also trying to. Okay, there we go. Um. If you would like to support Dub Talk, you can follow us here on YouTube, Twitch. Uh, sorry, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Tumblr is dead. Um, <laughs> I, keep I do too. It's fine. Um, if you would like to support us as a one-time donation, we do have a link to uh, below to our Kofi. If you'd like to support us on the regular, we do have a Patreon, and we do have some shoutouts. Our five dollar tier. Uh, I don't think this is uh, has question has Patreon updated um... since. Not sure, actually. I don't. I don't. F- I think it is up to date, actually. Um, let me double check to be safe. If you can get me that uh, really quickly. Hold 
Uh, let me get in here. Um, ba -ba -ba -ba. Come on. Come on, Patreon. Alright, Internet, don't be a dick. Just, just, I wanna... I just wanna see. I just wanna see. I don't... I just wanna know! God damn it! Ugh. Manage memberships, maybe. Oh, that's... I don't think I'm gonna be able to pull this shit up. Okay, so what I have right now is... Right, I'm, pr I'm pretty sure it hasn't uh, changed. If you would like... Thank you. Alright, and if you'd like to support us on Patreon, uh, you can do so. And because of that, we have some shoutouts to give our $5 tier, Crimson Echidna, Michelle Travis, and Nico Robin, but with Yowie Hands. And our $10 tier, Carly Lestacow, Jacob Wilson, J2, a.k.a. Jared... Marco Bermudez, Marissa Lentz. Hold on, the one correction. Uh, I don't know where you got that list. Marco Bermudez is not a patron anymore. Yeah, okay, I'm looking so at the that. like the Patreon patrons tab on DubTalk, so. Okay. That was the last one that I had a call that had a thing in there. So let's do that again. And our patrons are $5 tier, Crimson Echidna, Michelle Travis, Nico Robin, but with Yowie Hands, and our $10 tier, Carlo Carly Lustacow, Jacob Wilson, Jared, J2, aka Jared, Marissa Lenti, and Weeby. Uh, guys, quickly go over where they can find you so we can go to bed. <laughs> uh, my name is Dead. You can find me on Twitter at DivineNigga, where I will occasionally, uh, where I'll just usually be talking about cartoons or whatever. Uh, you can sometimes find me on my blog, Enemies of Infinity, where I will sometimes write things, and, uh, uh you can also find me occasionally with, uh, Andrew on, uh, Podcast ONA, where we will usually talk about anime news. Cool. Uh, my name is Noah Clue. You can follow me on Twitter, at Noah Clue, where I will, uh, talk about all things in the animation medium from around the world. I was super excited last night to watch the Annie Awards, because, even though I'm not a huge fan of it, Klaus be out Dr Disney and DreamWorks for all the major awards. So, yes for overthrowing the establishment. Look, the only thing that matters is Satoshi Kon got a posthumous award. That he did. That's the only thing that matters around here. <laughs> need more now we just need the licensed paranoia agent. Ah, <sighs> yes, this is true. <laughs> anyway, my name is Stephanie. I'm also known as Lilac sometimes. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Lilac Anime Review with review being spelt R-E-V-U-E. I also have a blog that I really should post on at some point. Uh, it is lifeandtimesotaku.wordpress.com. Cool. My name is Megan. You can follow me at Queen Air 2. I shit post. Uh, that it, I shit post and I love on my boyfriend, Roots of Justice. Um, <laughs> so thank you everybody for listening uh, tenants match over. Uh, hopefully we can all go and we can all go to bed now. Uh, seriously, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, please legally support Stars Align. Please. And remember, please legally support Stars Align. And remember, we love you no matter who you are. Otaku. Good night, everyone. Even in an ever-changing world, only the starlit sky will not change. Aloha.